Hey gang, it's Nate, and it's not time for a bite size. It's a, it's an actual full episode on this one. We're going to be talking about the Ghost of Tsushima. I have no clever bit because all my cleverness is just evaporated. I'm I'm actually surpassed by um, I've been joined by two far more cleverer individuals. Cleverer is not is not a word, and if it is, it shouldn't be. Um, more savvy and sophisticated individuals than myself. Um, but let's just sort of like, I'm, you know, it's like, Nate, you, you tell us that you're being joined by people, but you keep talking. Who joined you, Nate? And uh, well, it's none other than friend of the show, Micah Gearsolid. Hi, Micah. Say hello. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Dude, anytime, anytime. You know, it's like we've, we've talked about this and it's just, I think, um, since you started being the second chair on TRG, it was like sometimes our schedules didn't always mesh. And yeah. now that you, you had a podcast outlet, so you didn't need us. You know, you didn't need us anymore. I, 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 didn't, need, I didn't need this one. I, you know, uh, I mean, just not day one patron, but one of the patrons since Dude, beginning. But I don't like, care about you guys at you all. You were like week one. <laughs> Stop. Like you were like, like it was like. I think Josh and I were talking about this last episode. It was like, I was the very first patron. Um, and then Wes was like shortly after me and then you. Um, so yeah, dude, like you stop with that nonsense. Like well, you're not fooling just, anybody. Life is so busy. Be, being for real, life is just so busy. And um, as people may have heard, the, the, Logan and I are shutting down the, uh, the TRG podcast. Just so much is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the year, we're going to be closing shop as far as the podcast goes. Um, but, uh, so maybe some more free time in the future for me to hop back on, um, in 2024, but, uh, but yeah, it's been a, been a wild 2023 trying to get through this year and I'm, mm-hmm. um, apologies to the listeners. I'm got a little bit of a cold brewing or something's going on with me. Um, so if I sound kind of nasally or whatever, apologies, but yeah, man, thanks for having me, uh, back on for sure. Yeah. Well, we're glad to, and don't worry. I'm sure that if, even if you sound like a, you know, total frog, Josh can fix that in post. I have faith in his abilities. Um, join us uh, another somewhat, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've had you on an app too, but you know, uh, another friend of the show, uh, my, one of my best friends, and, and, you know, I would count both of you like, you know, obviously like, it's like, you know, if I had to pick one, it'd be Parker and it'd be by a lot, but you know, um, I'm glad, I'm glad you laughed at that. Um, but it's, it's one of, one of my, uh, one of my oldest and, and best friends, Luke Parker. It's, it's good to have you on the show again here, bud. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here to chat about whatever you want to chat about, Nate. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing. That's the beauty of it being my show. I do dominate the conversation and it, for, for once it's not awkward when I knew that. Um, so, uh, you know, it has been a while since both either one of you has been on with me. Um, so why don't we just sort of like Micah, I, you know, why don't you fill us in a little bit with sort of what's been going on? You, I mean, you, you just, and it's not really spilling the beans on TRG. I mean, like that's kind of, been, no, no, that that's new. That's, that's, out that's there. been in and, yeah, if, if anything. Been, I'm just kind of furthering the news. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the podcast is going fine. Um, just life is just getting real. Um, and so, uh, putting on a podcast every other week is a lot of work. And, um, 
Logan's been doing this for almost nine years. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I think it was just, it was the season to, to step away. Mm-hmm. Not saying that the podcast will be gone forever. Who knows? That's, that's really up to Logan. But, um, but yeah, personally, just kind of in the midst, like right smack in the middle of just fatherhood. My kids are eight, 10 and 12 years old. And, um, just doing life with them and my wife and just, you know, ministry at church and friends and family and events and going to this and that and driving the kids here and there and, you know, doing the podcast and, um, trying to find some time to game. And, uh, yeah, it's a, but God is good. Life is good. Um, been knocking out so many of these 2023 games. I can't, kind of can't believe it considering how busy the year has been. Um, but, uh, but yeah, doing well, doing well, had a good Thanksgiving ready for a break, man. I, I got vacation that last week of the year, um, that Christmas week and looking forward to that, but, um, yeah, doing well overall, man. Can't complain at all. Good. Good. That's, um, you know, I am aware, like I, I know some of what you've been playing lately and that you're right. That is I don't know that anybody could play everything that came out this year, Micah, but I think you you did a heck of a job making a run at it. So, but Parker, let's um, what do you? I mean, it's been a while since you've been on here. Like, what's what's good in your neighborhood, friend? <laughs> well, life's good. It's been busy as well. More uh, work related stuff, which has been challenging and interesting and stuff um just as like a interesting work side note with the rise of ai and stuff like that i just finished like a a seven week online course that uh, my company paid for to train me up and try to try to get smart and not sound like the dumbest guy in the room anytime i'm having a conversation with clients on ai related stuff so it's been a very interesting seven weeks to get smart on that because going into it i knew nothing about the subject of artificial intelligence and so now i know only slightly less than nothing i thought slightly more i should say than nothing about it so i thought you were going to say that now you know everything uh there is to know about it um (laughs) if anybody tells you that they're lying we're all making this up as we go so well and and ai is making it up as it goes uh as well like a lot of the 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 models that i've seen like the the models like the learning models that they're using are advancing so rapidly and sort of adding to the databases so quickly that it it seems like sometimes it's like weeks go by and what was like it started out as this thing and it's become something not completely different but it's so much more robust than it was even like a few weeks ago. Um, just some of the the image generation tools and everything and uh, chat GPT stuff, like some of that is just absolutely wild. But yeah, we won't, we won't go down that rabbit hole because <laughs> the AI is always making the news. Um, but yeah. And yet here, here it is. The funny thing is as gamers, we've been talking about AI and gaming for decades at this point it's nothing new in gaming so they're coming up with maybe new slightly new ways to implement it but we've been talking about how bad ai is in games for a generation now it feels like multiple generations so it's it's funny that you know it's it's been around in this sphere and now it's just the rest of the world's talking about it but (laughs) you know if you've if you played any strategy game any rts game any jrpg any game where you're facing computer-based enemies you've you've been dealing with AI and the quirks around AI for a long time. So, 
My my favorite is uh, when AI in games would just like, especially like in some like I remember maybe not Call of Duty because I didn't play a ton of those, um, but it was kind of just like you would like oh it was a stealth based game I can't remember but it was like the it was so funny because it was like almost as soon as I can't remember what it was. It was like something I played like back when I was a teenager, early twenties, but it was like, you could just like duck. And it was like, almost like, it was like, Oh, now you're not there anymore. Maybe it was like an, uh, 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 an elder scrolls game or something like that. But it was just like the weirdest thing where it just was like, this is obviously broken. Like I'm standing out in the middle of nowhere and, or whatever. And it's like, and now I duck and you can't see me. I was like, okay. Um, AI in games and all those foibles, yeah, we have laundry list of uh, uh, laundry lists of that uh, in in sort of this particular hobby. Uh, as far as things with me go, I, I it's just kind of been it's it's fine. It's it's not good or bad. We're kind of entering into um, into peak at the post office, obviously, and. I'm going to tell you that last week in November was the the most savage I have. It was like we were fu- it was like okay 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 and then it was just like the hammer just like came down and it was like nope all the parcels now and it just feels like there used to be a lot more of a or like a ramp up into it and it just was like we're good we're good we're good and then it was like just like open the gates, you know, peak is peak is not coming. Peak is here. Um, <laughs> and so kind of getting used to that. And it, I, I kind of have been making the joke that um, like, if you've ever seen the movie office space, there's that line where Peter says like, you know, every day that you see me is the worst day of my life, you know, because each day <laughs> is worse than the one that came before it. Um and it's it's kind of like I'm like every day that you see me in peak is the worst day of my life because the day before it, you know, <laughs> that is is anyways. But it the other thing is like it just feels like every peak, it's just like I don't know how we're gonna make it through it, and we always kind of do. But it's like it just like it's just brutal, and it does feel like the the volume, the parcel, and the slug volume just like climbs every year. It's just getting closer and closer to Death Stranding every day. Yeah, pretty soon. Yeah, it's like it's going to be a robot wasteland, and I'm going to like throw bottles of pee at shadow monsters, and you know, um, or or goo shadow goo monsters. I don't know. It's like I know nothing about that game. I still haven't played it. Um, but sort of moving along here, I actually did. Uh, one thing kind of of note is uh, I did sort of partake in some Black Friday shenanigans. Um, mm. And by partaking in Black Friday shenanigans, I found an online deal that I really liked. And uh, I got a two terabyte uh, solid state drive for my PS5. And so Ooh. I I got it fairly for like a hundred bucks. And okay. so for a substantial increase to my memory uh, like and i basically just started like reinstalling like everything i've been meaning to play for the last like 10 years so now like i went from having like 30 games on my hard drive to like i have over 100 at this point so if you thought it was hard to choose what to play before 
Now you really did it to yourself. Ah, uh, yeah, kind of. But I think too, this will sort of let me. Like I basically sort of loaded it up with a bunch of stuff on there that I'm like, this is the stuff that like combing through that PlayStation library, my collection, or, you know, like going through that. I was like, this is the stuff that really kind of sticks out. And so Death Stranding was on there. Um, Dragon's Dogma, Dark Arisen made it onto that. Like it, there's a whole, but then there's a whole bunch of like smaller indie stuff that like I've really being like oh like hey so it's like i've got this like i've got big beefy stuff i've got a bunch of like really smaller sort of bites more bite-sized kind of stuff and i'm hoping that like between the two it's like you know it, i could I, totally find- use some more space with with how the kids use the playstation as well and having their games on there yeah you know? and yeah like you get a handful of big games and it's it start you're half full you know and then with I, me, you know, my half of my hard drive is taken up by like photos and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, I got like I said, I got mine sort of there there was a Black Friday deal, but like this was uh it was the Corsair series. Um and according to consumer guy or consumer reports, it was just like the best overall. Yeah. So very cool. I, yeah, dude. Well, I was like, well, and and they're becoming more. It's just becoming more affordable. Period. Like, it wasn't like a major Black Friday deal. It was like instead of like fifty percent, it was like a, there was an extra twenty bucks off it for like that three or four days. And I was like, well, it's like a hundred bucks. Like, let's go yeah. ahead and just just pull the trigger on that. But you know, we were talking about games, talking about backlogs. It's time, I think, to just sort of, we have a form for that. And it's time to, uh, uh, you know what? That just, just because Josh isn't here, I almost forgot because he makes it so easy. But I am so glad that we talked about how it's, it's been, been with us for the last, well, since I last <laughs> saw you. Um, I just, I want him to to not feel like he's missing out on anything while Absolutely. he's editing, editing this. Um but moving on, we're going to talk a little bit. We have a form and again, it's it's the backlog report. And so because my my co-host isn't here and he does all that excellent foley work, I won't ask either one of you two to do that. Oh, no. Mike Mike came prepared, folks. So, we're we're going to roll into the backlog report. And so, you know, since you guys are both sort of returning guests, um, we'll just kind of, I think like this sort of Micah, then Parker, Micah, like, why don't you kick us off here? And why don't you tell us about something you've been reading here lately? And then Parker, you tell us about something. Cause we did sort of shift it instead of everybody unloading all at once. Let's talk about stuff that we've been reading. So Micah, what's something that you've been reading lately that you're kind of into? Uh, well, I mean, you're the, the thing I'm going to talk about, you, you can get into it and then out of it uh, and like the blink of an eye, it's um, uh, thanks to you, Mr. Nate. I'm going to show it here on camera to you guys. It's uh, oh, The Mysteries by Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes fame. Mm. This is his first uh, work since Calvin and Hobbes. And it is a, uh, it's called, it's sort of labeled a, as a fable for adults. Um, and it, you can read it in like five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. I don't know. Um, it's got like 350 words or something. Um, and it's got those really funky illustrations. Yeah. Yeah. Which are very captivating. That's what slows you down is you're just kind of like looking at the images every, every page. But, um, 
uh, yeah, it's very good. And uh, still try like I read it today, actually. I was sort of waiting just for some time to kind of um, like have nothing on my brain. I was like, all right, let me switch, cry this open. And uh, yeah, I'm still sort of like pondering the meaning of it a little bit. Um, but yeah, very good. It's just cool to see Bill Watterson out there doing stuff. Um, yeah. The illustrator, um, John Kask, I think. Kosked. Uh, yeah, but, the, uh, the two of them collaborated on the illustrations or whatever. But yeah, it was right. Big like, collaboration is, is what I understand. What were you going to say? I think it's like it. I don't know that they're illustrations per se. I think to me, it almost looked like some like puppetry kind of, and then photo. Like, and it's been a minute since I've looked at, but there's like maybe not puppetry, but it has more of a uh, what's that uh, diorama kind of like vibe. Like, I wonder if there's like some like 3D kind of assembly kind of stuff. I don't know. And it, it's also, I basically read it back in October when my copy showed up and I haven't touched it again. So, but yeah, it's, it's very good though. And like I said, yeah. just uh, super glad to see Bill Watterson do something. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the mysteries is, is what I've been reading. Yeah. And it's definitely got some of that like Bill Watterson cheekiness to it. I'm glad that you like that. Uh, you, you know, I'm. You no, know, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. So good. Good. Um, Parker, how about you? Something you've been reading lately that you're just going to bring to the table here? Um, I have been kind of bouncing back and forth between a couple of. It's going to be a very different off topic from what you guys were just talking about, but um, uh, reading some old Puritan literature. Um, a book called The Saints Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. And between that, and there's one called A Lifting Up for the Downcast, and I can't remember the name of the Puritan author of that, but um, both really interesting books. I've had a a fascination for the last year or two with understanding the Puritans and who they are and, and what they've contributed to theology and culture and things like that and how misunderstood they've been over the years. So really been interested in that and just, hearing how intelligent they are and just they kind of mimic Paul in my mind in a lot of ways because they just wrap themselves around an article and they just won't let go of it. And they'll just think through every counter argument you can think of and why that counter argument needs to be diffused. And so it's very heady stuff. I can only read pieces of Puritan literature for a little while. And then I got finally got to kind of go take a break and do something light and, and fun for a little bit. And then come back to it, but I'm always enriched every time I dig in. I just need to kind of take breaks and do it in in chunks. But so I've been bouncing back and forth kind of between those two. It's funny that you said like, I can read a little bit and then I have to go do something like kind of light and easy and not heady Uh, because the, the rare jewel of Christian contentment has been working on me. Like, and it's like, I'll read like three pages And it's like, I don't know that I'm even through like the first chapter yet. And it's like, and I have to stop and be like, cause it's, it's so dense. Like, and, um, so yeah, I, I have been kind of like toying around with that. I haven't hit that in a couple of weeks at this point in time. Cause I, I did kind of get distracted, uh, by well other things. Cause in a lot of ways I have the attention span of a golden retriever. And it's like, you know, like, oh, squirrel, like, and it's just, you know, off, 
down, down, down whatever rabbit hole or barking up whatever tree I sort of am on at that point. But in addition to that, because I have been, like I said, sort of like kind of like slowly, a couple pages at a time working on that. Um, I, you know, so we had uh, Jordan or Jordan Lightheart of LuxCore Studios on a couple weeks ago. And, um, he mentioned that like he's rereading the Hobbit or and the the Lord of the Rings trilogy again for like the bazillionth time, and that's an absolutely like, bonkers story. They like like dudes read the Hobbit and the the trilogy like like something like seventeen or eighteen times. I I can't remember, but he was like, and he was like, no, like I know because like he just read it like back to back like seven times when he was a kid or something like it was wild i i thought i read it a lot like i read it like two or three times like you know you know from from stem to stern and uh then i met jordan um so uh but after that conversation i was like you know what it has been like a hot minute it's been like a couple years since i've you know, listened to or watched or done anything with the Hobbit and Tolkien's material. And so I picked up all of the, the, I picked up the Hobbit, uh, the fellowship return, um, the two towers and return of the King and Andy circus did a version on audible where he narrated all of them. And he is just like, I, like it is one of single-handedly one of the most charming things like, and obviously when he does Gollum, he does the Gollum voice. Um, but he just like th- that guy's like talent and range is just phenomenal because like, and just like keeping the, like, I don't know how he does it, but like he keeps all the voices straight and like, everybody's got kind of like a different little like lilt or, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's it's an absolute delight. It's it's absolutely charming, um, and uh, I'm just I'm I'm kind of falling in love with the Hobbit and just Tolkien's works again, like kind of all over again. Um, because it's like you know, and the movies are fine, right? But like, it is definitely one of those things. Like, so I'm at the part in um, the Fellowship where they come across Tom Bombadil. Which, you know, he's absent from the movie because he made like zero sense in the movie. But like, it's just such a, a and, and in a lot of ways in the book, he makes almost no sense. Uh, but like the way just um, that Tolkien sort of weaves that character in and, and what Tom really is and what he does and everything, it's, it's fascinating. And it's kind of like just... It is like, oh man, like Tolkien really is just, he's a master, like master world builder and, and writer. Um, and it's just, it's, it's an absolute delight to sort of like spend time in that world again. Um, and just kind of, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like, as far as fiction goes, that's, that's kind of like, I, I went through the Hobbit and I was like, oh, this is so good. And then I started just, I'm just going to roll through the whole thing all over again. So, um pretty stoked for that um moving on to the next form here or the next part of this form micah as far as things you've been watching lately any movies or tv shows that like sort of have have stood up and got your attention lately 
Nothing really, only because I've not really watched anything. The only thing I'll say, uh, we did a recent, uh, Logan and I did a recent episode of the Feel and Film podcast with Aaron White about the Gran Turismo movie, the PlayStation Productions movie that, you know, it's like, why did, why did, does this exist? Um, it was, it was really good movie. Um, turns out <clears throat> Sony keeps kind of punching above their weight when it comes to these, uh, you know, movie and TV show entries. Um, and Gran Turismo was really better than it had any right to be. Uh, so I would recommend that. Like it's definitely worth a watch. Like it's, it's worth your time. Um, but, um, but yeah, nothing really else. Like there's, I'm trying to think there's nothing really on the docket that like me and Emily are like chomping at the bit to watch either as far as like TV shows and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's been pretty much it as far as like watching stuff. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that Sony does sort of punch above their weight because like, you know, you think about the Uncharted movie, which is, uh, yeah, it's, I think that's the, the weird part is like when I talk about, like Sony pictures, like, or the video game sort of like adaptations, like uncharted. The I haven't watched the last of us. Um, but it's like, I remember talking to somebody about uncharted. I was like, the movie's way better than it has any right to be. And you sort of saying the same thing about Gran Turismo is in that same category as when you think of uncharted for me, it last of us is in its own thing. Like last of us, you knew it was going to be good. And it was, um, especially with Druckmann being as hands-on with that as he like yeah. yeah last of us is like stellar outstanding but Gran Turismo like the movie is just like yeah this is really good like this is solid and like it's it's kind of um pulls at your emotional strings a little bit and yeah it's it's, it's based on a real story um so that's kind of cool all that stuff yeah it's got Orlando Bloom and David Arbor in it from uh from Stranger Things fame and uh yeah I would, I would recommend it for sure. Yeah. It's definitely like, it's kind of like when I'm looking for like a feel good flick. Cause that's kind of what that is in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. It's definitely sort of like on my radar there. Parker, yeah. how about you, my friend? What have you been watching lately? Anything? Um, not really a ton. I'd have to go back in my memory banks to think about the last movie that I watched. It was probably a date night I had with my wife and we went through the, um, Funny enough, it's uh, tangentially related to uh, to gaming because it's the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, which I had never seen mm. before. And um, you know, it's the ones where they they keep re- there's so many Spider-Man movies out there that like I have a hard time keeping track of all of them. But I had heard somewhere that like the the, the Tom Holland ones were actually pretty good. So. Mm-hmm. At some point I saw there was a deal on them and I was like, well, that makes for a cheap date night with my wife. If they're pretty good, we'll watch one of them. And then, you know, we'll have a couple more to watch if we like them. And so we watched the first one and it was actually surprisingly entertaining. Again, probably another one of those it was better than it had any right to be <laughs> kind of like what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And like the, the thing is like he is the best overall package. Like he's a a solid Peter and a solid Spidey. Whereas like Andrew Garfield was the better Spidey and Tobey Maguire was the better Peter. Um, Yeah. Like, but Tom is like the best sort of like all rounder, Mm -hmm. Um, which actually, you know, sort of when we get into the actual, like the big topic, that's kind of how I feel about ghost. Like ghost gets outshined by 
other Sony titles in different areas, but overall it's like the most complete package, but that's a bit of a spoiler. Um, I really like the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Um, yeah, same. Like I, th- I feel like the, the, the second one is probably kind of weak. And the third one. Don't spoil that one for me yet. I haven't seen that one yet. The third one is like, <laughs> I think it's, it's fun and it's good, but I was just going to say it sits like a little weird with me. I liked it. I really, really liked it at the time. And I still like, I go back and I'm like, it's a really, it's a really good flick, but there was something like the, the more, like the further I get from it, there's something that like, cause at one point in time, I like the trilogy was three, one, two, um, for me, like, but as we sort of get out from that a little bit, I'm like one and three are comparable. I think one does edge out three for me. Cause there's just something about three that I don't really like a little bit. Um, and, and now that I know what it is like, yeah, it's, it, it, I think it's more of a tone thing than anything else, but you were going to say something, Micah. I was just going to say three was my favorite one pretty easily. So if you've watched the one and two Parker, I mean, yeah, three is really good. Three's I I think three is a really good flick. I just think for me personally, like I didn't I I didn't like the overall direction. Um the the like of the the movie. Like you like the you poop watch on it, fun. What's that? You like the poop on fun. No. <laughs> the, no. I think because we can't have this conversation without no, I know, the I know. spoilers. I'm, I'm messing, yeah. And it's, it's, I love so much of that movie. I just, yeah, I'm just going to stop talking stop about right it. right here. Because like, I, I, like Parker, after you watch it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Because like, I, I really like the Tom Holland movies. I think he's mm-hmm. like, a, like I said. They're very I think good. He's, he's a really good Spidey. I think they've got like a really, like, yeah. There's like a big shift from the uh, from the Andrew Garfield ones, which I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't see the second Andrew Garfield one, but I saw the first one, and it was like kind of dark and almost brooding and just very tonally different. The the Tom Holland one is like a much lighter, like yeah, fun and almost like playful. I would say in tone in a lot of ways, and just like there's just a sense where it like doesn't take itself super seriously. Um, which mm-hmm. is kind of nice for that, you know, and it just was like refreshing and I remember laughing a lot more than I expected I would at a movie like that. So that was, that was nice. The, the Andrew Garfield ones are like kind of just a little on the depressing side, you know? Um, so, yeah. From how poor they are. <laughs> well, <laughs> as, as movies. I would say, I would say the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is actually really good and it's been a long time since I no, watched it. Just, was like I'm one of those things teasing mainly. And I think like like when you see like his performance as Spider like and how much like he like just sort of emotes naturally as Spidey. Yeah, it's it's a pheno- phenomenal performance. Um from what I understand and I don't know that I've even watched the second one to completion, but it was a total train wreck. Um like it's the one where it's just like they kind of just like lost the plot. Um, but yeah. Um, 
Speaking of lost the plot, uh, the thing that I that kind of brought to the table was, as something that I watched was, and I liked it, but I didn't love it, um, which is kind of weird because I like the source material, but I watched that Scott Pilgrim animated series on Netflix, mm. Netflix recently. Scott Pilgrim takes off, and I liked it, but didn't love it. Um, and the 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 sort of like the spoiler free ish version of that is it's not a strict retelling. Um, is that it's a revisiting of the material and it kind of does this. It takes a pretty significant departure from the the, the source material and not in a bad way, but it it's kind of almost like an alternative reality story kind of thing. And um, in some ways, I appreciated it. I think, one, it's just visually just gorgeous. It's just like drop-dead, just gorgeous uh, anime. Like the 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 animation studio uh, behind it, um, they're like a really top-shelf studio. It's it's really pretty. It's really kind of like, the, like I think it's just like, it's, it's a gorgeous-looking series. Uh, I just wasn't in love with the actual story. I think it's fine. It didn't like, it wasn't sort of like a go woke kind of like thing. It just was such a departure. Like the, the spoiler free version is that if Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and I'm, I'm trying, going to try and talk about this. Wasn't about Scott beating the crap out of like the the evil exes, but instead was about these people having like realistic and somewhat mature sort of like takes on their relationships, um, and sort of dealing with the the emotional baggage in somewhat responsible ways. What Scott Pilgrim takes off kind of hits that way. Um, it's still absurd and bizarre and it's got like a lot of whimsy and charm i just it wasn't i and like i said i liked it i just didn't love it but i loved scott pilgrim versus the world i love brian o'malley's comics like so it was just kind of like one of those things where i was like oh this is cool but it wasn't exactly what there's I, no battling of exes <laughs> not really like dude and it's like i know that's like a kind of a spoiler but it's like it's a super big bummer because like what i really wanted all that was i just wanted them to to basically animate like re do an animated version of the comic books like and they didn't do that thing and it was kind of a bummer because and, and, it wasn't bad. Like I said, it was like, I enjoyed it. I was like, I liked it enough that I binged it over the course of a night. So like, like I turned okay. it on and I stayed up and I just watched every episode. I stayed up way too late kind of thing. Um, so like take that for what it's worth. I liked it. Didn't love it. I thought it was fine. It was fun, but I don't know. Like it was kind of like, like yeah, it's like one of those things. I'm like, watch it if you if you really like Scott Pilgrim versus the World. If you really like the source material, I think it's worth a watch. But like, you're also like, if you're anything like me, you're gonna be like, oh, that was that was cool. But and like, anytime I feel like you have that conversation, like it's like that was cool. But 
that's kind of it's like sure you know what was it the term damning with faint praise kind of thing or like a backhanded compliment kind of thing it's like it was it was good i liked it i just didn't love it mm-hmm. like i don't hate it's not like oh like i wish i'd never seen it it's more like just like ah, yeah it was, it was cool yeah. i was glad i watched it i just i i wanted to just be like yeah and i didn't get to be like <laughs> yeah i was like yeah it's it's cool so um yeah, so that's that's really the only thing. I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, we're watching tons of like children's programming. Miss Rachel, um, we have we have found several Miss Rachel like subins because there's a point where it's like the Miss Rachel like videos are like there's just a loop and our, our brains start to like get numb. Um, and so we there but that doesn't count for anything as far as like watching or anything like that. Um so let's kind of move on here and let's talk about something, Micah, what's something that you've been playing recently that you, you're kind of going to bring to the table here and talk, talk to us about for a few minutes. Um, it's gotta be Alan Wake too. Yeah. Um, that has, uh, been taken up the primary part. I've been playing a bunch of different games, uh, playing a bunch of stuff with the kids, playing some overcooked with Ellison, uh, my eight year old son. And he is, we're crushing that game. He's really good at games and we're like, I can't believe how much we're dominating overcoat. Is he it's, carrying you or is it sort of like, are you, I don't know, <laughs> but we're like, you got to get, you know, like the three stars and we're like far beyond, like the scores are way better than three stars. And it's like, this is what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> overcooked is a fun game, but no, Alan Wake two is, exceptional in so many departments, but I've got some issues with it. Mm. Um, it, it's really the art direction and the, the general artistic direction, which is kind of the same thing. Like just the general vision of the game is like, this is great. And it's really striking. And, um, I love that they stuck it squarely in the survival horror genre, which Alan Wake really wasn't that, but this mm-hmm. very much is in the vein of something like some of the Resident Evil remakes that we've gotten recently. Um, and so that's right up my alley, uh, as you might know. Uh, so I'm re- really enjoying it a whole lot. Um, it, this isn't really a spoiler, but there's two primary protagonists that you play as and you once you get to a certain point early on in the game, you can then freely kind of swap between them. And I am not liking that at all. The, it feels very disjointed because you can just kind of go deep in one with one character and then go back and you get all this stuff to sort of catch up on, I guess with another mm. character. And so I'm kind of going every other level just back and forth. But I was like, when should I be swapping over it is, is now or like, you know, and that kind of feels disjointed. I don't love it. Um, but the actual game and everything else is, is great. Um, one of the other complaints I have, and I had this complaint with the first Alan Wake, is there's no real heft with like the gunplay, and like I don't know, like you're just shooting at shadows and stuff. So I guess it kind of is supposed to feel weird like that. But there's no kind of like just impact or um kind of tactile uh. So that feeling that you get on certain, like, you know, just a good Call of Duty or just you know, even like Uncharted or something um, where, where the gunplay feels a little like a like a wet blanket or something. I don't know. 
Um, well, and that's that's kind of weird because like I feel like the gunplay and control was really good. It and it's, correct. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's like to to me what I was and and I mean I'm like Alan Wake Two is very much like sort of like that's like high on my list of games to like sort of like keep an eye like to grab at some point in time and what like my biggest hope for this game was that it would sort of like punch narratively in the same weight class as the original Alan Wake but with some of the quality of life features and including the better gunplay from it is better something it, like it, control yeah it, it is better and I'm not to poop on it too much it's not like awful and ruining the game it's just something that's kind of I'm noticing when everything else is so stellar mm-hmm. um it, it boy it's weird <laughs> it's it's really it's got some truly special moments where it's like remedy keeps doing this stuff where it's like man i've i've never quite done anything like that before in a game and mm. remedy just pulled it off again so it's got some true high marks where it's i would recommend it for anyone who thinks they might like it like definitely play it if you think you might like it um but there's just a couple of things that kind of keep it from being a real uh just extra polished gem in my opinion, but um, not quite done with it. About 80% through, I think um, got a little bit to go to finish up to see how this wacky story ends up. So maybe my opinion will change a little bit, but um, so far really enjoying it. It's, it's just not quite the grand slam that I thought it was going to be. Is all. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I wouldn't say that that's disappointing, but cause that's kind of what I've been hearing across the board. Everybody's like, it's fantastic, but it does kind of like miss a step in a few places here or there where it's like, this could have like, this very easily could have been like a solid 10 out of 10, but like we flubbed, like there are a few parts that feel like, oh, there was a bit of a flub here or there, Yeah, which, and, and it's like, Hey, you know, I think especially in a year like this, like it's, this is a tough year to come out oh, yeah. and really shine. And so I, I think the fact that I don't know where it was sitting in open critic, but I know that it, I know that it did well in reviews. Yeah. I think it was like an 89 or something like that. 88, yeah. 89. And, and I think it's, it's like, it's received a lot of critical and commercial like praise and success. So I, I'm just like, I think remedies, you know, probably absolutely tickled. With um, I think the the one biggest thing is just like I am still I'm just gobsmacked by how remedy now and part of it is that they're based out of like Eastern Europe or whatever or Poland or somewhere, um, Finland I think okay so like their operating costs probably aren't nearly as steep as like a AAA American studio, but like the fact that it's like this game was I think this was less than a hundred million. Alan Wake, I can't remember. I know Control was super cheap. But I don't, Control I don't know was the, like fifty million, and I yeah, think I think Alan it Wake, was under a hundred mil for Alan Wake. I feel like I do remember seeing something like that. And, and I, that's sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I think there's something there for like American developers to maybe glom onto, and just sort of. I think part of it is just like the. the I think the secret to their success, and again, ha- not having played the game or anything like, but I think is like they have a very narrow vision. And they're like, no, this is kind of like the vision. These are the parameters. And like, let's just flesh it out in this, this trough. Like we'll go deep, but it's like, there are barriers here. And I think like, 
that having that sort of like that very sort of like dialed in direction and vision for the game helps. Whereas like I, what I think the biggest problem in a lot of like American studios is like, just like packing more and more. And like, there's almost like a design bloat where what I do, like just even off of like control, it was like the game, like this is what the game is. And it doesn't like, there's not this massive, like, open world or whatever it's like nope it's like you're in the oldest house and you're gonna fight the the taken or the hiss or whatever they're called and it's like there's gonna be lots of like weird you know psychokinesis stuff yeah like there's like but it's like this very like narrow slice and we're just gonna like run 100 miles an hour you know with this this design idea and i think that's probably like and again, not having played Alan Wake two, I can't sort of speak to that per se. But I think that's a strength, and I frankly, I think a lot of American studios would benefit, especially when we're seeing games budgets just like half a billion dollars. You know, Grant. You, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto Six's trailer drop today, and it's like you know that that game was made for at least a billion dollars, at least, right. like. So, um, yeah, anyways, like, yeah, uh, absolutely. They, they, they've got the, the secret sauce over there at remedy remedy right now, as far as the, um, hitting that production quality that a lot of hardcore gamers expect while keeping the budget trim and hitting their goals, I think. Yeah. So, um, moving on Parker, what have you been playing lately here, friend? Mm. A bunch of random stuff. I, well, you and I talked about this a little bit, but I went back through and played some old JRPGs, Grandia 1 and 2, and I recently just finished both of those games. And I had heard about them from some other people, other podcasts, other folks online, and the comments were like, oh, you know, if you like JRPGs, Grandia 1 and 2, they've got some of the best battle mechanics of any jrpg and i was like i like jrpgs and i like good battle mechanics so i'm kind of interested to check these two games out and i'm in kind of a retro gaming kick these days anyways so it was right up my alley and the time was right to check them out and i did and i have to say i i can kind of understand where people would come from if they would say that that sort of timeline battle mechanic is uh best in class for JRPGs um, mm-hmm. because it, it kind of, it, it's similar to like an Octopath style game. You don't have the break mechanic in there, but you've got everybody sliding along a timer and you can find ways to break your opponents and do different things to them if you time it right. And so there's some really interesting sort of choices you have to make about how to manage the battles um, and you're doing that kind of in, in real time or sort of pseudo real time. Cause it's going to, when a slider hits your character, you know, the action pauses for you to make a decision on, you know, what that character is going to do, whether it's going to heal or use an item or attack or whatever. And so you've got magic and you've got attacks and you can, um, do critical attacks and certain attacks you do will slide your enemy back on the timeline. Certain attacks you do will just cancel their attacks outright if you time them properly. And so, it's one of those classic cases of like difficult or uh, easy to grasp, but really difficult to master. Um, and I found that to be really interesting, especially for, I mean, Grandia one came out, it was like dreamcast era. I mean, it's pretty old at this point. Um, Grandia two was dreamcast. Um, 
So I think Grandia one could have even been like late in the the Genesis sort of like life cycle, potentially. I thought Grandia was on PS one. Is that not correct? I think it got released. I thought I thought when I read about it before, it came out first on Dreamcast and then it came out like a year or two later on PlayStation for the original so. PlayStation. You guys keep talking. I'm like, I'm going to Google this, and we're we're going to get to the bottom of this. So, um, uh, Parker, have you played the Ubisoft 2D RPG that's semi recent, Child of Light? Have you played that by chance? Uh, I have. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that has that sort of timeline mechanic, from what I remember, with like mm-hmm. you seeing your, your the enemies and stuff, and your character yeah. sort of going down that timeline at the top. That's what it reminded me of a little bit. Is that is that? Kind of bark yeah. up a similar tree. It's a similar tree. Yeah, there's some differences in the actual execution of it, but yeah, for like a, a quick like rule of thumb kind of like comparison. Yeah, if you've played Child of Light, you kind of understand some of how it works. Like I said before, mm-hmm. Octopath maybe is another close one. If you if anybody's played Octopath, there's kind of a similar mechanic to that. But uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I feel like the folks that are kind of in the know on JRPGs not which is not me, by the way, but other folks who really study JRPGs talk about, they just rave about this game and the battle mechanics. And, mm-hmm. and really, it's one of those games that's like not a lot of people talk about it and not a lot of people have played it, but it's sort of quietly influenced a lot of other games. It's um, one of those JRPG series from that, I'll, I'll say, golden era of JRPGs in that sort of PS1 era that... Um, I always knew it was just highly highly loved and you know um, highly beloved, I guess, uh, but never got around to. Kind of like Breath of Fire for me. Like I know Breath of Fire games are good, like four especially, but Grandia is just a series I never really dabbled in. Breath of Fire, like I can weigh in on that. I think uh, you, you mentioned four. I think Breath of Fire four is probably the standout. I think for the most part, Breath of Fire is pretty like standard fare. Like I've okay. played all of them and um, I don't remember being having my, my socks knocked off by them just to get the timeline. The original Grandia um, was originally a Sega Saturn game in Japan uh, released December uh, 18th of 1997. It did come when it came to the States. It came on PlayStation though, um, October 26th, 1999. And then also had a Japan release uh, June 24th, 1999. And then in the the EU, uh, March thirty first, two thousand. Yeah, so it was, it was that Sega game. Saturn, you know, era, which was pretty short lived. But the the Sega Saturn PlayStation era, and then Grandia two was a Dreamcast game, um, because that's the li- I I did play that some, and I borrowed my friend Craig's Sega uh, Dreamcast for like a month or whatever, and. Uh, that's the whole um i don't know there's like a sad story that i've told several times about how like i had i was like on the cusp of like 100 percent completion for majora's mask and i had like all the masks i had done all and this is the, the the n64 cart we did a system swap i borrowed his his dreamcast to play some stuff he borrowed my 64 and like the thing about the majora's mask cartridge is it only had two save slots and so he started a save slot and his brother wanted to play so his brother deleted my save and when i got it back i just looked at that save slot and i just was like i'm not doing this again um so which that's I, terrible that, that point in time i was like well 
rest in peace, Majora's Mask. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Grandia, Grandia Two was a Dreamcast game, and Grandia One was Saturn and PlayStation. Anyways, so we've got that timeline. What did you? I've got to ask you, like, so when you and I last talked, you were sort of just embarking in Grandia Two, and I know that you were kind of like you weren't as like high on it as you had been on original Grandia, but like, where mm-hmm. did you end on Grandia two? Because like, that's the, like, I remember playing that and that was my first, like the, the, the whole timeline thing. Yeah. And child of light is, I was actually thinking the same thing. It's like that whole, like you hit the right spot, you completely cancel attack or you knock them back to the beginning or whatever. Where'd you end up like landing on Grandia two? So I think Grandia 2, it's, it's maybe a little technically smoother than, than Grandia. It benefits from a little bit being just a little newer than the original was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had a, a little bit of a chance to refine some of it. But I think the characters just are not nearly as memorable or as likable. I think this, it suffered from what I would say is tonally Grandia 1 is very lighthearted. And it's like a, a warm JRPG blanket to wrap around yourself. And it's very, it's just sort of like lighthearted. And the story is really about perseverance and almost kind of like childlike innocence and just being uh, very sweet and just like, I don't know. I, I just really liked that storyline. And it felt like they got sick of that almost saccharine sweetness of Grandia and they decided to go darker and kind of more brooding in the second one. And so they created a protagonist that in my mind was just not very likable at all. He's just kind of a jerk to everybody for most of the game. Um, There's a little bit of kind of a redemption arc, you know, toward the end, but I just didn't connect with the characters and I didn't connect with the storyline in the same way that I did with uh, Grandia one. Um, they're both phenomenal games. They both have that same battle mechanic. So if you're interested in the, that timeline style JRPG battle, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of them. But I think just tonally for me and just like relating to the characters and the overall narrative, I think Grandia 1 is the, the better game. So if you're only going to play one of them, I would probably say Grandia 1 is the way to go. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Like, um, you know, and actually just sort of, you know, and this is a bit of a, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but based on your recommendation, uh, and then you sent me a text saying like, oh, hey, like it's on sale for like 20 bucks. I did pick up the the Grandia HD uh, collection on Switch. Um, so, and, you know, I'll talk briefly about my, my beatdown score, but uh, sort of moving on to like something I've been playing lately. Um, I, I, I haven't finished this. Like I finished the banner for destiny two last season. I didn't finish the story content. So I got to go back and I'm going to do that. Like, and I say, I gotta like, I, I it's destiny two. Like, you you know, it's like, I know Parker just like, you know, you know, what's like, kind of like chaps me a little bit is like, you're like, try this game, try this game. I finally try it. You play with, you play it with me for like two months, three months. And you're like, you know what? Deuces destiny two. Like I'm done. And even like when I talked to my brother uh, Deuce about it, he's just like, yeah, like, I think he's kind of like, he's, he's going to see it to the end. Um, But, and, and I, and you and I've had that conversation. And I think part of it is like the garbage monetization and the fact that like, 
you have to rebuy like in like if you switch platforms, you have to like rebuy all the content to have access to that stuff again. And it's like that's not great. There's a lot of like there's a lot of problems there and a lot of mismanagement. But um I did like I I got the, you know, we're gonna be talking about Ghost of Tsushima. I got the platinum for Ghost and then I went and I played the Iki Island expansion and I hundred percent of that as well. And um really enjoyed and loved my time with that. But I think uh I just needed something like a little lighter fare and I kind of bounced around with a few different things. And I eventually settled on uh, like it was like I've kind of like just dabbling with some stuff. Like I tried to go back to Returnal, Micah, but Returnal because I still haven't beaten that game. And it's like, but Returnal is very like big game energy. Like that is like you, you have, have to, to kind of play it in one like <laughs> era. You can't take a month off from that and then come back and pick it up and be proficient. In you it. No just way. have to like. So I'm gonna have to like sort of step back into that. Yeah, and it's like it can really be like the only thing you play. <laughs> It's um, a mindset. It's a lifestyle almost. Yeah, you Returnal, you Returnal is a lifestyle. Game. <laughs> so I, I was kind of like uh, dabbling around with that. Like I was, and actually part of it too is like um, the week, this last weekend when I was away at my folks, I did take my, my portal just to do like a bit of like a network test to see how it worked. And it was pretty solid. Uh, I did try to like fool around with Destiny. Uh, the I think like the the online stuff then shuttling that over, you know, three hours across the state was a little bit much. I did notice some performance dips, but like even playing Returnal, which is fairly intensive and a little twitchy, it wasn't ideal. It was doable. But what I ended up settling on, and I've sort of been on, I was sort of on this grind anyways, was Sea of Stars. Like I had been a backer. And so I had, you know, paid for my copy you know, a year or two ago. And when it finally came out, I got it for PlayStation. And of course, that's when they announced like, oh, hey, it's it's free for all PlayStation extra or whatever. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, I make fart noises. Because that's how it always works. It's like, I pay for the thing and then they give it away free. Um, but, well, this actually, the last couple of months have done all right for me. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. Um, but I've been playing Sea Stars and it is so I I'm just digging my time with it. Like that game is like you're talking about like JRPG, like 16-bit JRPG goodness. Parker, like Sea of Stars is really something pretty special. And it's like I I spent a lot of time in that sort of like the golden age of JRPGs and, and turn-based RPGs. I, you know, that era, like that's kind of like, that's what I cut my teeth on in a lot of ways as a gamer. And like, I can see so many, like one of the big things is there's obviously like a lot of like love for, for Chrono Trigger and the design and the overall tone. Um, I would also say like there's a good bit of like love for like the the Super Mario RPG um game. There's like I'm seeing some like potentially secret or mana-ish elements. Like I just think like there's just like that thing is just like and it's a perfect synthesis synthesis of like all the different DNA strands. Like there's like there's obviously like some more dominant notes, but like it is really just like 
a bunch of people who loved that era of JRPGs and wanted to make sort of a love letter to that era. And so far, Sea of Stars has been that. And it's like, I'm not super far into it. Like I'm like maybe three or four hours in. Uh, and I, it's, I think the other thing is like, I love the fact that it's not like a super long game. I think like how long to beat has it as something like 20 hours or something. So it's, it's not like, I'm probably just going to like go hard at it. Um, cause I'm just loving my time with it. Sea of stars has stuck with me in this crazy crowded year and is one of my very favorite games of this year. Uh, so far it, they do so much right with this game. The music, oh man, talk about a Game Awards snub. This game should have been nominated for Best Music at the mm. at the Game Awards. Um, have you gotten to that boss battle with that music that kicks in? That I haven't been playing with my volume up a ton because a lot of times when I was playing it, it was like late at night in bed with the portal, and which. At I which understand. point my wife would be like, turn that down. I understand. <laughs> like, you got to crank it in bed. No, um, <laughs> it's such a great game, though. They do so many great things. Well, um, the the soundtrack, uh, not the least of them, but um, yeah. How Can't would you guys compare stars. that to, like, have you played Chain Echoes at all? Would you, would you put I any s- comparison with that one at all? I started Chained Echoes, and I kind of dropped off Chained Echoes. Not because it was bad. Um, and Chained Echoes is definitely like, I want to come back to it. Like it's sort of on my list. Like I started Chained Echoes earlier and it just wasn't hitting me right at the time. What I would say is like Sea of Stars got its hooks into me way, way quicker. Like it's like, I, I felt like Chained Echoes was a bit of a slower burn and there's definitely like a lot of stuff in there that like. Now that I'm playing through Sea of Stars, I'm kind of afraid to go to Chained Echoes because I'm like, it's not going to live up to the hype. But I still like I'm kind of I'm kind of in that vein right now. Um, but Sea of Stars, and and this is the like, and this is like the dumbest thing in the world, but it's kind of like one of my bits is it has a grappling hook hookshot thing called the Grapplu, and it's the best. I love it. Um, because it does exactly what I needed to. Like one, it lets me hook onto the 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 dumb little like grappling hook points, but it also lets me shoot at enemies and initiate combat. And I'm like, yes, this is the best. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so like chained echoes. I think one of the things is like chained echoes that like there's a lot of stuff under the hood in chained echoes that I found to be kind of a distraction. Whereas Sea of Stars is just like, it's kind of like, that's definitely where I think like the Chrono Trigger comparison is most apt. It's because Chrono Trigger didn't really like go super into the weeds with like builds. It's like, no, this is kind of what your character does and that's it. And um, the characters have very sort of like specific skill sets. They sort of learn their techniques and stuff. And then it it's not like there's some like tweaking with equipment, but it's like you can't get super into the weeds, which is actually like really refreshing. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just meant the comparison more because I do agree with you. Chain Deckers, it's like very technical. The battle system super mm-hmm. technical. And the boss battles are really punishing if you haven't mastered the system. So it, it sort of forces you into this loop of getting into the weeds. But I just meant a comparison in terms of like 16, like recent re- recently released games that are emulating the golden era of 16-bit JRPGs and are kind of doing this thing where they, they're trying to create a version not that's like a, co- a direct copy of those games, but is like the best of what you remember them to be. And so in that sense, I feel like Sea of Stars and Chained Echoes are kind of, you know, kissing cousins in that way. Sea of Stars is very tailored. Like you're not going to do a whole lot of grinding in Sea of Stars. It's, it's not a particularly difficult game, I wouldn't say. Uh, you're not. You're never going to get to a spot like, oh, this boss. Okay, let me let me go back and do some grinding and do some of this, that, and the other. Get it back at this guy. It's like, no, that's just. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty tailored. Yeah, like I said, just it. it I I don't know if I would. It doesn't present that traditional JRPG challenge. I wouldn't say, and kind of the the whole thing of grinding, which is kind of core to that genre as well. I think. To the other comparison is where Chained Echoes is very much like that was one man's sort of like vision and execution the whole way through. Whereas Sea of Stars was done by the team that did The Messenger. And so there's like a lot more production and polish, in my opinion. Um, it's not that it's not like I'm not like like turning up my nose at Chained Echoes, but I think overall, like there's just a, the the quality, the the bar is a little higher in Sea of Stars than in Chained Echoes. Chained Echoes is like good. It's got some gorgeous sprite art. Like absolutely like but I think the fact is like there's just a little more production in Sea of Stars. It's so it's it, gorgeous sir. It's and it, they they do splash in some like particle effects and stuff that like you very obviously would not get in um in a 16-bit old school game. games, yeah. There's some like lighting stuff where it's like, oh, you you guys must be yeah. really pleased with yourself. I, I saw some stuff really about the, the devs of Sea of Stars. They they didn't want to reproduce the 16-bit era. They wanted to reproduce how your brain thought yeah. the 16 era was, and I thought that was really well done how they executed it. It's yeah. So Sea of Stars is totally like if you're feeling. Like you're kind of like vibing with like the old school like turn based JRPG style games. Sea of Stars is like it's a very strong recommend. Like it's I haven't finished it yet, but it's like it's sitting with me in a way that like is kind of catching me off guard. Like that it's was, super cozy. I and I knew I was gonna like it. I knew I was gonna like it, but it's like I'm kind of like. I'm liking it way more than I anticipated. Um, whereas like I was talking about Scott Pilgrim takes off and I was like, I was like, I wanted to love it. And like with this, I'm like, I knew I was going to like it. And it's like, it's kind of like, it's like sometimes it's not quite in that like brain worm kind of sense where it's like all, all I'm thinking about is sea of stars, but it is kind of like, I kind of want to go play sea stars again. Uh, so uh, that being said, Let's kind of just we'll we'll, we'll kind of keep rolling along here, and I say that after we've been talking about uh, you know doing all the opening forms for about an hour, which is I don't know par for the course for the most part. But um, 
you, you know, there are other, we, we do need to keep, we still have the rest of the topic, the actual topic of the show to talk about here in a little <laughs> bit. So let's kind of keep moving along. I'm going to touch briefly on my, my beatdown score. So I was at negative one for a while. I finally got into the negatives after really just like being on the struggle bus and then talking to Parker, my, my resolve just crumbled. I was like, apparently I'm just not supposed to be <laughs> in the negatives at all. And he was like, hey, uh, I've been playing the Grandia HD collection. It's really kind of something special. I think it's worth, like if it goes on sale for like 20 bucks, I think it's like totally worth that. And he's like, text me like a week later. He's like, hey, it's 20 bucks right now. And I was like, okay, you know, you, you twist it, you, you, you twisted my arm, you know, you, you terrible bully. And I just pulled the trigger on that because it's definitely sort of like, those are games that I, I want to get around to. Um, but moving on guys, you know, obviously if you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know what the beatdown is and you know what's coming next. GG is the official app of the backlog beatdown. And if you're asking me what GG is, it's a letterbox style app for collecting or for keeping track of your game collection. Um, you can do custom lists, uh, which is actually how we do all of our, you know, sort of like the, when we talk about the official app, um, I have a list for acquisitions. I have a list for the games that I've, I've beaten. Um, at one point in time, I was keeping like a list of like games that we would play for the podcast. Uh, I haven't updated in a while, but that's more of a me problem. That's not the app's fault. It's just me. You know, it's, um, but, um, you know, there's a, a ton of features in there. You can rate review, you can sort of set different completion or different sort of like activity levels. So like you can say you, you can't, uh, Micah, I know your much beloved sort of like wish list or want to play feature was removed. Um, oh, man, I know it. You, you were <laughs> devastated by that. Um, but you can sort of, you can mark things off as beaten. Uh, versus you can mark them off as completed. You can mark them off as abandoned, shelved, you know, and there's all sorts of like th those things all mean very different things. Uh, you can cultivate a wish list. There's again, all sorts of features. And in addition to that, you can rate and review every game that you've played. So like you can sort of rate out of five stars and it's actually, he does the half stars. So it's like, there's a 10 point scale there. Um, but then you can write a little bit of a, a review and for the, you know, I try to do that for some of the more outstanding titles that I play through. Um, but yeah, and and you can see what your other friends, including Micah and myself, you know, if you're following us on GG, you can see what we're playing and what we're into. And you you can see the fact that I haven't updated my list in probably a, at least a month or, or so. Um, in addition to that, if you like what Charles is doing, you you can get all of that for free 99 no money down. But if you like what he's doing and you want to throw a little bit of money at him and support the app and get access to early builds and a little more access to Charles and a special role in his Discord server for five bucks a month, five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year, you can become part of the elite tier. And uh, like I said, that gives you a little bit more access to, to Charles and the Discord server and that uh, gives you access to early builds. So you, you can sort of do a bit of a, you can be, you can pay to be a beta tester. Um, and sometimes you, you get sort of, you, you see what's coming out earlier and you can offer feedback to that again, a beta tester, um, other things that you can throw money at it's, it's this podcast. It's, uh, the, this thing that Josh and I have been doing for, you know, not forever. 
but it feels like that sometimes. I feel we, we've been doing this for a while, but um, and you know, for as little as a buck a month, and we want you to think of our Patreon as a tip jar because that's what we have. We have a Patreon like every other podcast in, in the world out there. Um, but we want our patrons to you know, and the people who want to take part of that to think of it as a bit of a tip jar. If you've done the rating and review, the reviewing, and you've done the sharing and the caring, and you want to go a little bit above and beyond. Um, yeah, you, you can sort of throw a couple bucks a month at, at us over on patreon.com. Now here's the thing. It comes with perks. And, you know, so I talked about how, if you pay Charles, he gives you some extra goodies. I really feel like we, we sort of like, we do laps around Charles as far as like, you know, that, and I, I love Charles, but like, frankly, I think for what we give our patrons, um, you know, th- there's a lot of, uh, bang for your buck, so to speak. So our patrons get early and uncut access to each and every episode. There's usually a little bit of filler content. Um, like we had, we had a little bit of a warm up conversation talking about Micah's favorite thing. And it's really my favorite thing is food. Um, you know, and, uh, we just had some culinary questions, but in addition to that, um, there's a video feed, uh, that our patrons have access to. And, a special podcast called the bro hang that is patron exclusive. Uh, the only way to get a hold of that. And like, you know, like I was mentioning with Charles and the GG app, each one of our patrons has, you know, a little bit more access to Josh and I, uh, they can, uh, and uh, as an additional perk, they can nominate a game or a topic every year, you know, once a year for us to sort of cover. Um, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is like, we just like them more because they give us money. So, you know, please buy, buy my affection. Um, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. My affection is not for sale. Um, maybe, um, but, uh, moving on here, um, last but not least, uh, you know, Josh and I are, you know, alongside some of our other friends, we're all members of the Playwell network. Um, you know, you've got Paul with uh, the Thorns of War, which is an actual play podcast. Paul, the artist currently known as the Techno Funk Boy, Wesley Ray, the Henshin Dad himself, over with his current project is the Retronym Podcast, which is a short form podcast that's kind of nostalgia video game related. He he has talked about like some Doctor Who. He does a lot of like Pokemon ranking lists. And he gets absolutely cut cutthroat, you know. Um, and then Porcho with nothing new under the porch, which is kind of it's it's, it's satire, and I don't know. It's kind of like Babylon B hard drive adjacent, and you know, but it's from a Christian perspective, and you know, he's got he has hundred percent more bad accents and bad impressions uh, than anything the the Babylon B has ever produced. Um, it's, it's a real who Porcho's got a really dry sense of humor and it's totally all three of those shows are worth checking out. Um, that being said, here's a word from one of them. Are you sick of listening to a grade podcasts and want to settle for something less? And why don't you give nothing new under the porch a try? Do you need someone to go further into the values of Mario Kart 64? Then listen to my takes on video games that have been talked about before by more interesting people. I dive into games I've played to try and find any potential theological or moral lessons buried within them. What? I also do a hot topic every episode. 
there are also satirical articles read out with cringe-inducing voice acting. Here's what loyal friends and family have to say about it. Hey, did you want to listen to my Just leave me alone! Wow, it sounds like my wife will love it! Hey, it's my son Atticus. Will you listen to it? Dorian, what do you think my podcast is like? It's like Joe Rogan. No, it's not. Well, Wes, what's it done for you? Thanks, Nick. It helps me get to sleep better. Huh, it's even changing lives. Alrighty, first episode will be dropping soon. After that, tune in every fortnight. Like the social media stuff and get the updates. Goodbye. And we're back. So tonight, folks, uh, you know, and we've we've kind of we've openly alluded. It's not even alluding. We openly address the fact that we're going to, we're going to be talking about uh, Ghost of Tsushima uh, tonight. Um, but before we get too far into it, you know, and, and you know, there's plenty of conversation to be had here. I thought it would be helpful to just talk a little bit about the back of the baseball card. You know, we're going to talk about just some of the, the facts and the details. So this was developed by sucker punch productions, which is a Sony first party studio. So it, you know, makes sense that it was published by Sony interactive entertainment, uh, PS4, it came out July 17th, 2020, PS5, August 20th, 2021. It's uh, just to sort of roll down through some of the credits here for just some of the people that worked on it. Uh, the, 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 the lead director credit, the lead director uh, credits go toward to Nate Fox and Jason Connell. Uh, it was produced by Brian Fleming. Uh, the lead programmer was Chris Zimmerman, uh, lead artist, Jason Connell. Uh, the the key writers credited here uh, on Wikipedia are Ian Ryan, Liz Alby, Patrick Downs, and Jordan. Uh, I'm going to say Lemus or Lemus. Uh, music was composed by. I have no idea how to. Uh, well, Shigeru Umabayashi, but the other one is Alan Eskeri. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Those were some of the the key, you know, sort of credits as far as like leads for all that stuff goes. Uh, now, here the the thing is, Wikipedia has it as action adventure. Um, I'm not sure that that's. I guess maybe, but it's more. It's just an open world game. It's like you know, kind of open world. It's almost like you know, Ubisoft. It's it's. Well, the way that I've heard it described and the way that I describe it, frankly, is like it's the best Assassin's Creed game that Ubisoft never made. Um, so it's got it does have a multiplayer suite, a separate mode called uh, Legends, which is pretty interesting. But it's just, you know, it's just the the base game. It's kind of a stripped down functionality. It's It's good. I played through the campaign, but it's nothing like, I don't know. Like it's that's not what we're going to be talking about tonight. So it's a single player game. Uh, something interesting here, and something I did sort of want to bring up is that as of uh, just as far as like sales numbers like go, like th- this this game was pretty critically it was well received critically, and I think it was a bit of a commercial success because as far as sales go, uh, as of July twenty twenty two, they reported nine point seven three million copies. So it was definitely no slouch in just so, as far as moving units goes. Um, but yeah, that as far as like just like sort of the the facts and the figures, uh, this is a pretty well received game. Um, 
And, uh, but there was kind of just moving along here and we're going to sort of talk about context, uh, and, and some of our personal baggage. And, and this is going to be a bit more of a spoiler free, uh, com- part of the conversation. We, we will move into some more spoilerish territory, uh, but we'll give plenty of warning when we get there. But Parker, one of the things that when I was talking to you about this, is that you described Ghost of Tsushima to me in a way, and you 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 said it's not that it's like underappreciated, but it's kind of it kind of is like a bit of an unsung Sony game, like because it's gotten lots of critical acclaim and it did really well, but it's also a kind of game that like when we're talking about Sony first party studios and first party titles, Ghost kind of comes and it goes. Much like you know the titular sort of like ghost of Tsushima, it's a it's a bit of like a shadow comes up and it gets a hold of you, and then it moves on. And it, it was one of those games that, since I've started playing it, it has easily become maybe my favorite Sony first party like series. I think I like it more than Horizon Zero Dawn. I like it more than The Last of Us. I I think I like it more than God of War. And I like all of those games, right? But I think, like, to me, this just is a much more coherent and better experience across the board. Um, but we'll 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 kind of dig into that a little bit. But moving on from that, Micah, like, can you sort of fill us in on some baggage? And again, the the sort of like spoiler free thoughts here. So. Yeah, the I, I played this game when it launched back in 2020. Um, this was the PlayStation 4's swan song, mm-hmm. um, closing out that generation. You know, it was just months out before the launch of the PS5, and um, <clears throat> this game, yeah, like you said, it's sort of that like the best Assassin's Creed game that never got made. Um, what strikes me when I Think back to Ghost of Tsushima, and I've sort of rebooted it back up here recently, and, and played through several hours of the of the intro, and uh, kind of get reacclimated to it. What strikes me about this game is the is the art direction and just kind of the the island of Tsushima, and just how striking everything is. The way they use lighting and just oversaturate or like it's, it's almost washed out. It's so bright with some of these. Um, with the way like the sun hits the vista mm-hmm. and the trees and just everywhere you are, it's it's just beautiful. So you have these these yellow trees and these red flowers, just all these bright colors uh, popping off everywhere. It's very it's very um uh what, what's the word I'm looking for uh, photogenic, I guess, or whatever. Um, just, yeah, you've been you have been taking you've you've been sort of dipping into your 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 favorite in game oh, yeah. activity. Yeah, um, absolutely. Get it, break out the virtual photography and bust out that in-game photo mode. Um, yeah, this game begs for that. It, it, well, first off, it has a great photo mode, but I digress. Um, it's it really like the way that the wind blows through the island and and just that that's almost like a character in the game. It's like it, it it would feel lifeless without the wind constantly just blowing a little mm-hmm. bit throughout the trees and the leaves um, blowing down the walkway. Uh, so just the, the the setting of it, and of course you have this horrific event that's going on on this beautiful island um, throughout the whole entire game, uh, kind of juxtaposed to, to the, the beauty of everything on the island. 
Um, and then it weaves this wonderful tale uh, about about honor and um, and family and and loyalty and uh, all these kind of you know traditional samurai uh, qualities. And yeah, it's just fantastic. It's it's it hits that high production per square inch mark that Sony is known for. I think this mm-hmm. game kind of epitomizes that. You mentioned that earlier in the episode, how this sort of, it may not be the best graphics or it may not be the best, this, that, or the other, but it hits it hits so well on a lot of different categories and really stands tall as one of the PlayStation 4's very best games, I would say, and one of Sony's best first-party exclusives during that era. Yeah, I I think though the way that and I've kind of I've been talking to both of you a little bit sort of throughout my my experience, but it's kind of like if like the God of, like so God of War like God of War might be like an eight in some spot, but it's definitely like on on other beats like like we'll talk just like uh, the 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 reboot uh, twenty eighteen or whatever. Was that 2018 or 2016? Yeah, it's 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I always like that and Doom get in my head. Uh, like the, yeah, Doom some, 2016. Doom 2016, God of War 2018. But like, there are parts of God of War 2018 that are like, okay, like this is an eight, this is an eight. Here's a ten. Here's a ten. Here's a ten. You know, and so that kind of like puts it up into that high eights, low nines kind of territory. Whereas I feel like for the most part, like, and, and this is like the thing about it is like ghost of Tsushima has like, it's, it's like nines and eights the whole way through. There's no real, like big punches, but it's just solid from stem to stern where it's like, you don't have like the, the sort of like, okay, like, well, this is a 10, but this, this part, like the combat in God of war, uh, God of war, Ragnarok and God of war is like, that's a 10 like that. That combat is masterful. It's, it feels good. It's, it's, you know, it's very much like its own thing. Whereas like maybe like explore exploration or like environment or whatever, it's kind of like, eh, you're probably looking at like eight territory, you know, whereas it just feels like the combat is good. The exploration is good. The storytelling is good. The visual design is good. The music is beautiful. And frankly, I think the thing that is the most remarkable about it is you mentioned the win, but the fact that like the, the map isn't super cluttered up and that you don't have a million and one things on the HUD, but it's a very minimal HUD and it's like, you've got the wind. And so like, you can go to the map, you can set your marker and you follow the wind. And it's just, it's a masterclass in sort of like UX and UI uh, design. It, it frankly, in my opinion, like the, and it's the most understated thing in the game is honestly one of the the coolest tricks that they like it's the thing that nobody thinks about until they see it done really well or really poorly yeah it's their own sort of take on as far as the open world is it's their own like i think breath of the wild and therefore tears of the kingdom introduced their own style of well what's that over there let me go Mm -hmm. and let, let me let me go explore that ghost of tsushima has put their own stamp of well what's that over there Oh, well, what's this fox taking me to? Oh, this bird over here. I guess I'll follow this. Looks like it's kind of doing something. Um, all these 
little things where the world lets you know, like, it, like it, it, it lets its curiosity in the player and wants you to go, well, yeah, I want to go over there to that between those two mountain peaks and check that thing out over there that I can see or the smokestack or whatever it is. Um, and, and the, and the, the, the sense of exploration is, is very real and the things that you come up on are well paid off, I think. But yeah. Yeah. So, so Parker, you know, like sort of leaning into this, what, you know, sort of fill us in on some of like, you're just like off the cuff again, like give us some, some of your personal context with this game. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Micah hit it pretty well, but it came out as like sort of the swan song for the PS4. For me, it was like one of the first big games to play in 4K because it was available. I, I did have a PS4 Pro at the time, and so this was like kind of helping me put the PS4 Pro through its paces. And so it was it was a big deal. It already feels a little dated by you know PS5 standards today, but I mean, it's still a gorgeous beautiful game and it shows off the best of what the ps4 i think had to offer just technically um and i think what it does that other games don't do is you talked about like understated i think the whole game is understated and that's why it flies under the radar with a lot of people it's because that under understatement is not something that people think about in video games and yet ghost of Tsushima kind of manages that in a lot of ways whether it's the hud or just how you interact with nature or different things like that so uh, there's a lot here that's really interesting and unique about it that would separate it from a typical, like we're saying, Ubisoft game that just suffers from just overstimulation, you know, and you've got mm. too many things to look at, too many directions to go, too many side quests to manage, too, too much everything, right, is kind of like what Ubisoft open world games are sort of known for. And feels like Ghost of Tsushima packs almost as much content in there, but it doesn't overwhelm you with the way it presents it for you. And it's much mm-hmm. gentler and much more accessible to do as an open world game. You don't feel like it's bloated, even if the game maybe runs narratively a little long, um, just the amount of activities that you can do and things never feels overwhelming. And I think that that's a testament to like the design philosophy and how they use that sort of concept of negative space. And it's, it just seems to me like it sort of embraces a certain like uniquely Japanese ethos about minimalism and things like that, whether it's like the soundtrack or just the environment or anything. And that's what sets it apart to me from those other games is like it packs a ton in and there's so much to do and it's all great, but it never feels like I'm just burdened by how much stuff I got to look at, you know, like, like I would be with like a Far Cry 6 or a Immortals Phoenix Rising or I don't know, probably the next Ubisoft game coming out. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora is probably going to do the same thing. But all of those games are very Ubisoft in that way, and they've put their stamp on it. But I like the way Ghost does it, and I much prefer that because it's a much more relaxing and enjoyable experience. One thing, if I may, if I can add specifically to that point that I think might help Ghost, because I'm, I, I started playing, uh, replaying Horizon Zero Dawn with my oldest daughter, and those are very similar games, Ghost of Tsushima and Horizon Zero Dawn. And the UI menus in Ghost are like not that they're bad in Horizon, but they're so clean and so well thought out and just very compartmentalized. And you it's very clear what you what you have to do. And like you said, that sort of like that Ubisoft just kind of uh too much going on. Like it's just very 
very well designed, very trimmed down, very scoped, and, and doesn't toss a whole bunch at you. But yeah, I think the UI is one thing that, like with the menus and stuff specifically, that really help with like, okay, yeah, I'm getting into this. I'm, it's not too much, or I understand this, and yeah, it's it's very very good UI is one thing I was noticing, just kind of juxtaposed to Horizon coming off that and playing them at the same time. The the big thing is that the game is just understated. Everything they do. And again, Parker, that that is such an interesting sort of like note where you're like everything sort of embraces like that sort of Japanese minimalism, the use of negative space, like just the 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 stripping down and so much like of the design of the game and everything. And I was kind of like, and again, it's a Sony first party uh, studio and a, a Sony first party game, so you can't help but sort of like compare it to things like Horizon or God of War or The Last of Us or whatever have you, um, right? And you know, I think one of the things is you know, as we were talking, I, I think even something sort of like one of the the criticisms that God of War Ragnarok took is like that the equipment in so many ways in God of War Ragnarok didn't really mean all that much didn't have a significant sort of impact on play or play style like but the equipment as well as being just sort of like a cosmetic sort of like you know overhaul every single time really did impact like the different style like the different suits of armor sort of had an impact on your play style like one of my favorites was when you get the sakai family clan armor and you just do like i would just like i max that out as soon as possible because like one of my favorite things like to just roll up on a bunch of dudes call them like you know dress them all down and be like come and get some and then just like mow like five dudes down and just like that that quick sort of like but even there, it's like it. They don't go crazy on it. It's like this is what the armor does, and it's like you can sort of like build that out. But it's like it's a game that they they kind of know exactly how to far to take everything, and they just sort of like they stop right when they should. They should, I think, and that's just like one thing that kind of was popping into my head while we were talking. I do think though, and this is the one thing that I gig it for, and it's more of a critique or criticism of just like the open world style game is that it just gets a little long in the tooth. Like you talk about how like the narrative sort of like is just long and I wasn't tired of the game. I, I loved every minute that I was playing it, but there were like these parts where it was like, and I was having fun, but I was still like, okay, like I'm kind of getting ready to be done. And it's like, it still felt like there was a little bit more and a little bit further to go. And, uh, you know, I probably didn't help myself because I kind of, you know, after I played through the game, I just was like, oh, well, now I'm going to go do Iki Island, which um, is kind of, it's a bit of a departure. And, and I think one of the, one, the things is like, when I think Japan, um, and really sort of like the high cinema stuff. And they have they have a mode in it. And it's like, but the Kurosawa mode. And I think about Kurosawa. And there now, granted, I haven't seen all of Kurosawa's filmography. Um, I'm really primarily uh, familiar with uh, The Last Fortress, or The Hidden Fortress, um, Seven Samurai, or Sam, you know, Samurai Seven. And... Um, Samurai 7 is the anime adaptation. I've just disgraced myself. I am a filthy weeb. Yes. But Seven <laughs> Samurai. And then um, 
And actually, Iki Island to me was channeling a, a little bit of Rashomon, um, and sort of like because Rashomon gets like a little bit more like spiritual, mystical kind of like. There's kind of like some Rashomon play, I think, in Iki Iki Island where there's like these, but I don't want to go too far. But I wanted to like, I definitely was like feeling like, uh, you know, Seven Samurai. Um, like it felt like a channel that, and obviously like there's the visual mode and I turned that on for a little bit and I was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, the, the weird lip sync dub and like the film grain and like, you know, it's like, it was really pretty striking, but I think Micah, you know, that you pointed out, it's like the, the game is just way too pretty with color to to play it any other way like to play it, it in black like and white service yeah to turn the curacao mode on in a way yeah and i was like um you know it definitely has its place and i definitely enjoyed sort of like dabbling in that but it, i really did like and just like it does sort of just fit seamlessly into that that framework where it's like it is kind of like a, a bit of a uh like fan service or fantasy fulfillment kind of for me in the sense that like i the 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 few pieces of Kurosawa's work that I've watched have been incredibly impactful. And there's a like there's kind of a desire to like hang out in that space. And this is like like, hey, hang out in Kur- the Kurosawa world building simulator kind of thing. And um so like do either one of you does that like hit a note with either one of you as far as just like, and obviously there's the Kurosawa mode, but like I felt like there were times like throughout the game, you know, some of the story beats or even just some of the set building, like some of the, like, like I was like, Oh, like this reminds me a little bit of, you know, like every time you would sort of rescue a a village from the Huns, you know, it, it felt very seven samurai. Like, you know, especially when you would sort of like, you'd have to do like the little bit of like prep where you'd have to go like to the lookout spot and you'd have to be like, okay, like we can come down here and here and here. And it's like that, like, I don't know. And, and then, like I said, for me, like even just the hidden fortress, just like the sort of like the lone wanderer sort of like survivor kind of ethos that, um, that whole, that sort of dominates that movie, at least in my mind. Um, with like, I was like, to me, I was like, "Oh yeah!" Like I, I can see, I can see Kurosawa's fingerprints, like just all throughout that game. So, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I do. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> for me, I think one of the reasons I like it is yes, it's it's definitely got that Kurosawa Seven Samurai DNA to it. But I think the other piece that brings it together for me is I can see other influences from something like Shadow of the Colossus in that game, which mm. Shadow is like one of my favorite games of all time. So I think I was reading the Wikipedia article and they talked about how, you know, they wanted to declutter the the UI and so the wind was part of that. But really the influence of that was like they remembered playing Shadow of the Colossus and how you you don't have all these points on a HUD. It's a stripped down minimal HUD in the same way. And your character's on a horse and the horse is an important part of the story as well. And you just raise your short, raise your sword and it's reacting to the, the light and the light is pointing you where to go. And so there's not really like a lot of like HUD clutter that gets in the way. It encourages you to say, sort of stay immersed in the world. And so I think they took notes from 
how Shadow of the Colossus managed its HUD and its sort of like minimalistic approach. And I absolutely love that. And the sound design, the same thing, very minimalist and in that way too. And so there's a lot of parallels, parallels there between those two games. And so if you're going to combine a game that has, you know, uh, something like Seven Samurai, which is one of my favorite movies, and Shadow of the Colossus, which is one of my favorite games, and you're going to sort of throw those together and make a video game. Like, I don't know, I'm all in on something like that because uh, I just think those are great pieces of source material to work from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Micah? Um, not especially. I'm not a huge Kurosawa fan or, or anything like that, but um, one thing I would say to this topic would just be uh, – it really seems like the level of care that Sucker Punch, a Seattle or Washington state-based uh, developer at least, uh, that they did with this, with with all the cultural stuff. I know that there's mm-hmm. all the people who are kind of the, uh, I don't want to missay this, like the kind of the historians of Tsushima and kind of the people that really know the, all that history I've seen an interview with like some of them and Nate Fox, the creative director. And um, now they're, they love it. Like they absolutely love this game. And it's brought all this extra uh, kind of recognition to Tsushima and kind of that story and kind of that, that era and all that sort of stuff and how they think it's just the best thing ever since sliced bread. And they are very much thrilled with how sucker punch handled it, which I thought was a great compliment for, a Western developer to, to take on this sort of Eastern, uh, you know, culturally themes and, and setting and, and really just knock it out of the park. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of shout out sucker punch for, for that, that little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, and I can't remember which one of you I was talking, it, it might've been you, Micah, but when we were talking and you're like, this is a game that like Japanese developers were like, we wish we would have made this game. Um, you know that like in like and these these a lot of these dev studios have gone on record saying like this is a great game we wish we would have made it um yeah you know, just i think like you know the the fact is like yeah they they very much cared about kind of like getting the heart of the things right you know and it wasn't necessarily about cuz there's a way to like pay attention to like getting all the details technically correct but it just it you, you're kind of missing the heart of the thing and i think they found the heart of the thing and kind of just like just nailed it just just absolutely crushed it um because it just feels like from from you know tip to tail the game just feels sincere mhm you know, it almost kind of like feels like a bit earnest in it. And I know that's kind of like a weird way to describe it, but like, you know, they're like, no, there's something special here and we want to sort of bring you along this ride. And we care about the source material. We care about the historical sort of time and place that we're telling the story. And we want this to mean something and not just be kind of like, this is like, it's more than just a, it's a video game, but it, it, in some ways it is a, like this game kind of, you, you brought up shadow of the Colossus Parker. And I think all three of us are massive. Like I, I think for all three of us, that's like arguably one of our favorite games of all time. Um, you know, it's very high up on, it's like, it is my favorite. It is my hands down favorite game of all time. Um, and Mike, I know that you feel very strongly about the game as yeah. well, but I think one of the things is like, 
that Shadow has a very cinematic quality to you, like to it. And it's one of those games that like the first time everybody, like, you know, it's that, that when uh, Ebert, Roger uh, Ebert was like, you know, video games can't be art. And everybody's like throwing copies of Shadow of the Colossus at him and saying like, play this, you, you Philistine, um, you know, kind of thing. But that, and, and I feel like very much, yeah. Ghost channels that there's something just profound is maybe a term, but it's just like, there's something deeper than just a regular old video game. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to poop on Spider-Man or anything like that. I love those games, right? I love Spider-Man looking forward to playing Spider-Man two at some point in time in the, the near future. But like there was a resonant, like a deeper resonance, I think from ghost that yeah, very much did sort of hit like that Shadow of the Colossus sort of like vibe. Where it's like, oh no, this like this has a little more impact. It has a little more like gravitas, but not in a pretentious sort of self-aware way. It's just like it has like a quiet dignity that it's just like I am like this game is the thing that it is, and it's kind of beautiful for it in a, in a way that doesn't necessarily it doesn't like draw a ton of attention to itself. And it's like I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, do you guys have any more thoughts like, you know, sort of that you wanted to share while we were sort of in this sort of sphere? Yeah, I mean, it it, it really is sort of the whole package. Um, the combat is so satisfying. You have all the all the different stances, the the water stance, the stone stance, all those different stances that, that just add these layers to the combat. And you got to use different stances for different enemy types and. We don't have to, but it's, you know, it's highly advised. And, um, yeah, just the way you can kind of call out people and just have like a one-on-one showdown with them. And, you know, you hold your blade and wait for the time to strike. All that kind of stuff is so well done. And um, so, yeah, just just love the combat. It's very satisfying. Just parrying, just quick parry with that L1 tap and then come in with the slice. Uh, everything feels so good. A very impactful, super weighty game dealing with the themes that they're talking about. You know, like I said earlier, honor and loyalty and all this sort of stuff, betrayal and um, yeah, just a great package all around. But um, yeah, that, that's all I'll say before we get into spoiler stuff. I guess Parker. Um, I would say, I mean, I second everything Micah just said there. I think it's interesting, just like the setting, like they set up such a strong like world and setting for this character. And then they drop him in and he's not like, he's very unusual and he's kind of understated in a way, right? Because your typical video game mechanic for a story like this would be a sort of like mid to late twenties, early thirties, something handsome, modely looking guy who, you know, is going to go out and save the world. And he's kind of like a very average middle-aged dude. And it's kind you of hush like unusual. Mouth. Jin Sakai like, is a dream. <laughs> he is, he is a stud. Everybody's got their thing. I'm just saying like, <laughs> for me, he breaks the mold from what I'm used to. And no, so yeah. in, in that sense, it's kind of like a little riskier pick because he's not mm-hmm. like the, the the handsome poster child like you would get in like every other he, game. He doesn't ever. have like the 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 super impressive jawline. Like he's yeah, he's 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 kind of like just like 
a normalish looking dude for the most part, which is, yeah, it would have been so easy. Yeah. And it would have been so easy to make him like the hero, you know, like in, in sort of like, like give it, give him like this really impressive profile. And, but it's like, they kind of just made him like, he's just another dude. That's a pretty um, astute observation from pretty astute observations from both of you. I, you know, and we don't do a ton of this, but I did throw out some feelers just for like questions and thoughts. Um, and I did get a little bit of feedback. Um, so I thought like this would be a good place to sort of insert that. And then we'll kind of move on into uh, story spoiler, the, 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 the spoiler bits. Um, so, uh, on Facebook, uh, David Benjamin actually sort of he he chimed in on the post, um, which and I appreciate that. It's good to hear from you, David. Uh, hope all you know, hope all is well with you. But he said, "Good game, but not as good p- as people say." He got the platinum, and he spent fifty plus hours playing the online mode. Uh, thoroughly played it, um, but he does feel like he had to say it, that it overstays its welcome without you realizing it. And I think that's like, yeah, it, it does kind of, and again, I think that's more of just a, a, my, my thing is like one, I do think it's one of the greats uh, in Sony stable, but I do recognize that. Yeah. It just, and again, I think that's more of a open world kind of thing where it's like, just, they, they kind of just get a little long in the tooth just because of like, there's so much to do that eventually like some fatigue does sort of like set in. You guys have any responses to David's sort of like commentary there? I think the only thing I would say is uh, I agree with that, but I would say that's, that's maybe more an issue for those of us who are like completionists. I think if you just kind of run through and you just focus on the story, which is certainly viable in an open world game like that, you don't have to go out and, and do everything the game has to offer. But the fact that it compels a lot of us to do that, I think is just a testament to how well the game is designed. But like, it, it, nothing about the game forces you to spend 50 to 100 hours playing it. You know, uh, you, could, you could streamline that and you could cut out all the haikus and you don't have to go and do all the little, you know, follow all the little foxes and do every little thing the game offers to you. It's just a delight to go and do those things. And then after a while, the fatigue sets in from doing them. But that's, I feel like I'm saying that from my own perspective, like that's more a me problem than the game's problem. And to me, it just shows that the game has done a really good job of like pulling me in because there aren't, I don't hundred percent Ubisoft games in the same way. I mm-hmm. look at one of the, I kind of like pick and choose and I'll do one of a type of activity and then I'll be like, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. 30, the game's going to ask me to do yeah. the same thing 35 more times. I did it to experience it. I check the box. I'm good. And I move on this game. I was like, no, I want to dig under every little rock. I want to look at everything and see everything the game has to offer. And by the end I was like, okay, I've done more than enough. But um, it it did that in a way that, you know, other similarly sized games wouldn't. And so to me, it's just more an issue of like being a completionist and feeling like you have to do that. And then also just being compelled to do it because the game is good. I don't platinum that many games myself. It's sort of rare for me to do that. So to me, it's just, a, again, a testament to how much I like the game and, and how well it was designed. But unlike other similar games, this one pulled me in in a way that those ones didn't. 
Yeah, and I think that that actually kind of answers, and and I didn't read it, but yeah, but uh, Dorian over on Discord actually submitted this question. He said, "Does the game give you Ubisoft checklist slash chore vibes, or has Sucker Punch made completing the game fun and interesting?" He, I bought the game last year, but haven't committed to playing it as of yet. I've got to be selective with when I start these larger games nowadays, you know, and, and Dorian's got, you know, three or four boys at home. Like he's, and he's, he's a working man. And, um, but I think we kind of answered that question. Um, and I would sort of like absolutely co-sign everything you just said. I think that the, the, the really remarkable trick there is the fact that like, yeah, like the game, like there were definitely like parts where I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is getting a little long in the tooth. But I still couldn't like it. I didn't feel like I had to. I just wanted to. Like I, I enjoyed my time, like from stem to stern in that game, you know. And I just like, like there was never. I never hit a part of the like a, a point in the game where I was like, I just want to be done. There's like, just other than when you when you take out like the foxes and the haikus, like that stuff that could be a little fillerish. But like all of the actual quests whether they be i'm going to call them side quests but they they have this great that there's tales of tsushima and then there's the mythic tales which are this like extra rich uh and you again, also get like quests, sweet loot from the mythic it's like, tales it's like mm-hmm. the best of the best stuff. it's like none of these are crap side quests these aren't fetch mm-hmm. quests these are really good rich meaty quests with good narrative and it's like they they just cut out all the, there's not a ton of them I wouldn't say compared to some of these types of open world games, and so when you go to a quest you know it's going to be meaningful. It's not like hey go get me uh, you know two two things of gasoline and some towels and some something make some Molotovs or whatever. And it's like okay let me go get those. It's it's not like that sort of stuff. It's very very rich side quests. So mm-hmm. yeah, not very it 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 is in that genre of checkboxy open world, but it's not a checkboxy open world. It just well, and that's the thing. Yeah. It, it does. It kind of like, and again, it comes to that understated thing where like it's, yeah. And it, if you look at it, it is a bit of a checkbox kind of game, but it, it's a checkbox game that sort of gets rid of all the checkboxes. Like you want, you don't like, Oh, I, I need to like tick this off and tick this off and tick this off. It's like, a lot of times I would play and like, dude, like full disclosure, I have over a hundred hours in this game. Now I think that some of that clock is a little wonky because there were times when I would like put down the controller and go do other, like, you know, I have a son, a one-year-old son and things like that. So it's like, you know, sometimes yeah. you put down the controller and you walk away for a little bit. And, um, but a lot of it was like, I remember there were times when I was playing the game where I would just ride around on my horse and I would find Mongols or Huns to like, you know, basically ride down and, you know, punish. Or I would just like go exploring because it's like there's something so compelling about the countryside and just like, like I do have a bit of a completionist itch. Yeah. But like it felt good. Like, dude, like you know, just like climbing around and finding like the little coves or like, you know, it's like you talk about like how like, oh, you see the golden bird and you can follow the golden bird to like a hidden area or you can follow the foxes. Like, I'll tell you what, like sometimes it was actually like when I would stumble on a fox shrine without the fox, like I was like, there's actually like one, there was a little bit of like delight, but there was also a little bit like, oh, 
Like, <laughs> you know, cause I'll tell you what, like you tell me I can, like my favorite part about the Fox trying things is when they let me pet the Fox. I was like, yes, like let me pet that Fox. Yeah. Um, but R- random question. Do you guys remember what you named your horse? What, like which horse name you, you selected? Um, at the beginning of Nobu. the game. Nobu. Yeah. Same. Which means trust. I have it written down right here. Yeah. What yeah. what were the what were the other options? Uh Kage, I think, which means shadow. Kaze yeah. Kaze, which I think means wind. Um I, I think and I I need to go back and check. I think the three names Parker, did you play the PS five director's cut or the original PS4 version? I think uh, they give you yeah. different sets of names, is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. I just okay, rolled a I new played... game plus, and I think there were two options for me in the new game plus on the PS5 director's version. I think it was Shadow and Trust were the two I had to pick from when I did okay. a new game plus. E- either way, yeah. I, I, you know, full disclosure, I did just play the PS5 director's cut version, um, which, yeah. So, uh, so Dorian, hopefully that answers your question. Last but not least, and I, I feel like this is a good one to sort of like hit real quick before we move into the more spoilery, because this is like, we're going to be able to explore a little bit more of this, but, uh, our friend, Eric, the judge, Brian over on Facebook left this comment. He said, it's been so long since I've played it, but the one thing that stuck to me was the contrast between the old ways and the new the honorable samurai versus the sneaky assassin. It used to be about honor. Then it became, became about winning. And he just said, your view of God's sovereignty affects your view of these things. And I think that's, that's pretty important um, because one of the things, and as we sort of move into the spoiler things is that so much of the story is this tension between like honor culture and pragmatism. Almost, you know, and, and in some ways this is a, you you know, and, and I love, frankly, how I think like the story the they balance the story that it's not there. And and, and you know what, before we go any further down (laughs) this road, I'm just going to like, sort of like, we don't have a horn, but um, I'm going to just sort of spit this out there. Like from this point on folks, spoilers are in full effect, in full effect. So, uh, you know, just. If you're you're still listening, you should probably stop because spoilers are coming. Um, so that being said, this is it. Last chance. You don't want it spoiled. Get out. Um, but the honor culture, like the 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 thing that just struck me the most was how like it was this portrayal of like the beauties and the pitfalls of honor culture, right? It was because there were some really beautiful things like, you know, and, and so, you, you know, the, the whole, the, the opening act is like, you know, Jin, you know, they're, they're repelling the Mongol invaders and basically the, the, that sort of that initial sort of salvo, like their forces just get decimated. Jin, uh, he, he gets dragged off the battlefield by, uh, oh, what is her name now? Yuna. Yeah, Yuna, and and she basically says like I saved you so that you could help me save my brother. And he's like, well, I have to go rescue my uncle, uh, you know, who is uh, I forget the rank, but he's like basically the big man on the island. Uh, I have to go rescue him, you know, uh, 
Khan, Khan, who is a cousin of Genghis or a descendant of Genghis and a cousin to Kublai. Um, you know, he, he took my uncle prisoner and I need to rescue him. Um, and so the entire first act is, is sort of bent around that. And it, even from the get go, it's like, Jin is confronted with like, you know, you, you sort of the, the opening is like that the honorable samurai sort of like engaging the, 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 the Mongol invaders. But like, the thing is that the Mongol invaders aren't going to fight fair. And it's like, I remember that scene where the dude like goes down to like duel Kublai and Kublai throw, like throws the, the wine on him and then sets him on fire. And it's just like, it just lets you know from the get go. It's like, your code of conduct and, and, and throughout the entirety of the game, uh, Coton just, he, he, and he, even at one point in time, I think he's, he's having a, uh, a, uh, a conversation with, uh, Jin's uncle. I can't remember his name off the top of my head now either, but he's, he's basically saying like, I studied you guys. I studied your culture. I studied your code. And then when push came to shove, I knew how to use that stuff against you. And he's like, I know there was stuff that you won't, there are lengths that you won't go. And, you know, so when Jin is rescued by Yuna, like it's immediately, she's like, well, unless you want to die uh, because you don't have your armor and we have to go get your sword because I sold that for medicine. I traded that for medicine to save your life. But we have to, if you want that stuff, we have to go recover it. You're going to have to be sneaky. You're going to have to operate like a thief. And that's where like the, the, the sort of like this tension is introduced in Jin because he's got the, like the, he's got the, um, Lord Shimra, you know, he's got the upbringing from his uncle, Lord Shimra, where it's like, you know, this is not how samurai behave. And he kind of, even there makes a concession. Like he gives into pragmatism because he's like, well, I need to get my sword so that I can eventually like, rescue my uncle potentially. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I mean, and you know, sort of like, I just love even from the get go, that tension is sort of like there in the sense that it's like, and he's, he is kind of like, he's troubled by it. And then they just managed to like pull that, that thread the whole way, almost mass, like perfectly throughout the rest of the game. And it culminates in, in sort of a, a beautiful moment. But I, I come back to it as like I love the fact because like they show there there are beautiful parts of that honor culture where it's like respect for your enemy. Don't it's it's not about just winning. It's about doing it in an honorable way and a good way and being sort of above reproach. But there were also pit traps. And I think at one point in time, you know, there's sort of a a, a conflict between Jin and uh Lord you know, his uncle Lord Shimura. Where, you know, and and again, you obviously at the end of the first act, you rescue him. But there's a confrontation because like some of the methods that Jin has been utilizing up until this point are not quite within the samurai. They're not w quite within the code of Bushido. And, you know, so there's even a challenge there. And, you know, at one point in time, I think Jin looks at him and, and basically says, you're a slave to your honor. Like you, you're, you're a slave to your honor and it's hurting our people. Like the, the important part is getting these these invaders off of our island. It's about saving our people, and if we have to like sort of bend on our on our sort of like our honor code for for what's best for our people, 
like, you know, and again, it's, it's kind of like that, that interesting sort of like tension between pragmatism and, you know, the, the, this code of conduct, the, like the, the Bushido and the honor code, um, for you guys, what do you like, like, where do you weigh in on that? I think it's interesting how they, they kind of give you an option there between two different play styles with the skill trees and just the, the types of equipment you can use and the tactics you can use in battle. There's two very different approaches. There is the sort of straightforward dual mechanic, traditional samurai approach. And then there is all these other ghost-like stealth-based tricky, you know, smoke bombs and, and little hidden knives kind of a thing. And you've got options there between those two. And then I think I, so Personally, I played it more on the honor side and the dual mechanic was just so fun. I just loved mm-hmm. like dueling as much as possible. So I didn't use the the ghost side of things too, too much. It was very underutilized. But my understanding is like the more you would use that, the more that nature would sort of like reflect that. So like the world would actually get darker and stormier the more you sort of leaned into those ghost mechanics Mm. into the stealth and into the sort of like sneaky dishonorable gameplay. And the more you kind of like leaned into the more honorable stuff, the, the environment was like physically, um, you know, brighter, sunnier, nicer than that. So I don't, I don't know if either of you guys played the other side of it and you can vouch for that, but I think I've seen that on the internet where folks were, we're talking about that before, but I think that's an interesting thing. Like they, they sort of gamify the, the struggle in an interesting way that allows you to sort of like pursue either path and you kind of weave in between them as part of the story notes. But you know, when you're left on your own between the big story notes to figure it out for yourself, those are the moments to me that were kind of interesting because you get to kind of like choose between the two. Micah, what what was your your primary play style? Were you more uh, samurai, or did you lean more into the ghost? Always leaning stealth in games like this. If I can go around a camp and not be seen and take everyone out, that's what, exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, so definitely leaning stealth, leaning that dishonorable. <clears throat> you know, the game kind of just with the whole narrative, the overall narrative, it it funnels you down the ghost path. Obviously, for for you know more than if you if you want to be the honorable path you're not you don't really have a lot of choices like you gotta poison you know get the poison and you make that and like you know do that to your enemies like you have to do those sorts of things so narratively it pushes you down there but the it it's so well done with the all the acting and all the cutscenes and everything Mm -hmm. and going back to lord shimmer and the 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 him and jen's conflict with this and you you brought it up it was after Right toward the end of Act One, I think they have that confrontation, and it's right after Shimura has says, "No, I want to adopt you as my son," which is an enormous honor, an enormous uh, gesture by Lord Shimura to to tell Jin he wanted to adopt him officially as his son, and um, and then all this kind of foul stuff goes down between the two, and and uh, Lord Shimura just slaps Jin right in the face for how he was acting. And mm-hmm. he immediately knew, like, oh, I just made a big mistake. <laughs> and th- that was the point. It's like, Jen's like, we're over. We're done. Like, yeah. I'm going to go do my thing, and you can just go do your thing. Um, I'm not just going to let my people die. And if you want to do this, that's fine. But this is what I'm going to do over here. 
Um, it's it's just really it's it, it's so well done. I, I I love all that. Just kind of the it's almost like he's wrestling. Jen's wrestling with his religion. <clears throat> um, you know, if he wants to kind of follow that creed, and if he wants to, uh, yeah, get kind of how he wants to achieve those those ends, sort of. Um, so yeah, all all that was just so well done. Um, the all the relationships really it, were so impactful because like the relationship between Jen and Yuna and her brother Taka and the, 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 mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of uh, the bonds that they forged the, the relationship and the things that you learn about sensei Ishikawa, the archer mm-hmm. and lady Masako and um, Norio and, and all these other side characters uh, just really well fleshed out. Everyone's backstories are really well fleshed out in the way that they, their worlds kind of come <clears throat> and collide with one another are, are just are, are, are great. Um, so yeah, all that stuff is, is really, really well done in my opinion. Um, I don't, I'm kind of going in circles and I don't really have a point of what I was saying, but well, um, go on, sort go of like, you know, sort of weighing in here for a minute. And, and, and I think I have a, a bit of a jumping off point off of sort of what you brought up even too, but it's like, I kind of straddled the line where it's like, I loved dueling. And if I was out just like rolling around, like I would like find Mongols, I would slap on the Sakai family armor and I'd call them down. And we'd like, I'd like, I just mow down patrols. But like when it came to like taking forts or whatever, I leaned heavily into the, um, the the sneaky stealth elements like i was like i was always like on the top of building like i was i was sniping dudes from like as far out as i could get you know and it's like and then i come in and i just like you know and and part of that and and sort of this is you know you brought up the the point micah where you, you know and you're talking and this is towards the end of the second act um but they're like Lord Shimra and Jin have been reunited. Shimra says, like, I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to make you my son. They're sort of moving on to this, this fortress, right? And um, Koten has set a trap. And a bunch of people die because they, they try to cross this bridge. And then basically, yeah. they, yeah, Koten blows up the bridge with a bunch of people on it. And Shimra's resp- like, his answer is like, well, well, we'll fix the bridge and we'll march on them in the morning. You know, and, and Jin's response is like, no, we don't need it. This is like, people are going to die, you know, and we, this is not the right way. And I think the difference here, and and there are two things is that Jin this entire time has been among the people he's been liberating these villages. You know, you talk about his relationship with Yuna and Taka and like, he is so he's so invested in sort of like protecting these people and at some at, at one point in time like avenging taka um you know and and all of that but like he 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 knows these people they, they aren't just faces they aren't just like or they aren't just nameless individuals like these are people he knows 
and cares about and is invested in. Like he's gotten to know like the the different villagers and the different characters. And so like he's a little more invested where Shimra is very big picture in this. And Shimra's like, and that's why he can hold to his code, right? Because he's not as concerned with the details. Like if people die while you retake this fort, people die. And it's not and it's not to paint Shimra as like a heartless man because I I don't think that they but he's just like this is how right. samurai this is we we're going to do this the right way and you know, that moment when he slaps Jin it's like you can just like before Jin says anything I'm like nope that was and you you're right like in that instant Shimra like the the acting in it knew he like he had gone too far. Like he had pushed too hard. Um, and I, I think at that point in time, he knew that he had lost Jin. Um, and so then when Jin makes the decision, and so, and this is like, this leads to one of like my favorite sort of like narrative twists in the game. So Jin at this point in time, he, he's been using poison um, to, to incapacitate and deal with enemies. And he asks Yuna to gather a bunch of wolfsbane for him. And, and basically the plan is he's going to sneak into the, this fort and he's going to poison all the Mongols. And he does that. And, you know, he gets there and he's expecting to fight Coton. And instead he, he fights his friend who was the leader of the straw hats that like, even that, that story arc, that was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, because like he kind of like Jin kind of even in that moment he's not fully gone like he's like his friends like you know we can we can tell your uncle that I helped you and blah blah and he's like no he's like you need to turn you betrayed me you betrayed your people you need to turn yourself in and face the consequences of that so it's like he's not fully gone he's not fully like renegade at that point in time even though he did sort of like, you know, that's when you get the ghost armor. And once I got the ghost armor, I definitely leaned into using stealth more in just like daily combat. I would still like do the, like, you know, face, face off with dudes. Cause like that dueling mechanic is just too perfect. It just like, like just the way that it feels like the feedback and it's just mm, chef kiss mm-hmm. on that. Um, I would play a game where if that was all there was to it. Um, but, uh, you get to this point where like he poisons and uh, even uh, building up to that moment, like sometimes you'll, you'll move, you'll encounter like Han patrols or Mongol patrols and they'll, they'll, you can hear them like shouting, it's the ghost and they'll, they'll run off in terror. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a status effect that you can afflict people with terror kind of. Right. And there's a part of me. And so, and this is like the part where it's like, after you poison the, the thing, it's like your sort of notoriety just explodes. And at that point in time, you, you're actually, Shimra takes you into custody and, you know, he kind of places you under arrest or Jin under arrest. And he's like, you know, we're going to wait for a decree from the Shogun on how to deal with you. This is like, you've just, you've gone too far. But the, the and I'm going to tell you, like, I sort of rejoiced in And and this is like the 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 messy part of this game. And this is like one of the things it did masterfully. It's like I love the fact that like the because the Mongols, their whole thing is like they they just come in and they terrorize and they brutalize everyone who stands in their way. 
and to kind of in some ways like flip that spear on them and say, oh, you will know fear. And, and Jin as the ghost becomes that symbol where it's like, they, like when you get, I, I think this is around the same time, like while you're taking the one, the one half of that fortress, you, you encounter ghost mode for the first time where it's like you go into this and you have like three or four hits, but they're just like one hit kills. And he just like brutalizes this and pe- like his enemies will take off screaming after they watch him like mow down these people. And that like and that's when that actually prompts the conversation between Shimura and Jin that leads to the the Jin getting slapped in the face. And but I'm like, there is something so poetically sort of just in a sense of the fact that like the the Mongols who had used fear as a weapon, sort of having that turned on them and said, Oh no, like you think you are the terror. Like you know, but it's like you, you are meeting terror and there's something kind of like, I, I, I'm going to say this, but I think a little beautiful in that, you know, it's like, you know, that the, that, that, and, and I don't know, I think it's a little beautiful. Maybe that just means makes me a little perverse or cruel or whatever, but then moving past that is that he poisons this fort and Coton finds the rest of, like basically figures out what the poison is and he's going to duplicate that and he starts utilizing that and that's like and that's where you you see the like the, the, the kind of like the the flip to that is that like Jin went too far and now the thing that he was using to sort of like you know it's like it's kind of like my dad would say at this it's like you don't argue with a fool because what happens is you have to get down in the gutter and he's going to beat you with experience like and it's like like Jin kind of steps into this world and it feels good at the time to like punish the wicked, to like strike fear into their hearts, to kind of like pull that Batman moment. But he goes a little too far. And then what he finds out is like, this is a this is a playground. This is a pool that Coton cons depravity. Like he's well versed in this. And the minute Coton sees this as a tool, it's like, oh, like, you know, he's he's totally willing like to take the time and the energy to figure out what like he like figures out what the poison is and then he's going to mass produce it and he's going to use it to sort of basically annihilate his enemies and it's like there's just like it's like Jin sort of like dipped into that pool and then like he just went a little too far and now it was being used against him and so it's like there's kind of an interesting push and pull in that that I really find to be this really masterfully done. I mean, in, in talking like the, the narrative tension that they're just sort of weaving and playing with and thematically like, and again, because it's like, there are obvious flaws with Shimmer's plan. Like the thing is we find out Jin sneaks into that fortress and basically the minute they would have broken through those gates, every person who, who walked through that gate would have died, would have been butchered. Um, with explosives and it's just like Jin Jin put an end to that so it's like he wasn't entirely wrong but he wasn't entirely right either and there's there's something again sort of like this examination of honor culture versus pragmatism and things like that and again it's like they're both kind of wrong and kind of right and there's that's messy and it's not there's a well, lot of nuance and not anyway to- go ahead 
over religiousify it or you know bring it back to the gospel or something like that but like just you know it's like the struggle between legalism and cheap grace you know lord shimmer is on the legalism side and uh, jen's on the cheap grace side <laughs> kind of you know um and uh, one thing that i love that lord shimmer says at the beginning he tells jen i can't remember if it's in the flashback when jen's a little boy but um talking about honor and, and doing the right thing and, and kind of upholding that. He said, I, I wrote it down here cause I, I quoted it. He said, it's, it's never easy. It's something I struggle with every day. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about kind of, it, this isn't the wide road. This is the skinny road, you know? Yeah. Um, but maybe the way he's going about it is quite legalistic, you know, especially in Jen's eyes or the player's eyes or whatever else. Well, but yeah, and you, you talked about the flashbacks, but even in one of those moments, like Shimura says, Jin, what, what, it, what is honor? What is Bushido? Like, what is the code? Mm-hmm. And Jin kind of gives him this textbook answer. He's like, those are the words of your father. What are your words? You tell me what it means. And Jin's definition is like to care for the people that have been put under his authority and under his protection. <laughs> like that's, that's part of like this. And Shimura says, and that's the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, Shimura sort of lost sight of that, where maybe Jin was a little too close to it or something like that. And it yeah. is an interesting, you you brought up like you have legalism versus licentiousness or like the, the cheap grace thing. And I think a lot of times, you know, we can be doctrinally pure and we can be a little cold and distant. Like, you know, I'm Presbyterian. The Presbyterians are called the frozen chosen. And that's because we have the best theology and everybody's jealous. Um, but that's, uh, um, but that's a, that's a critique that I think is, is pretty fair in, in Presbyterian and reform circles. There can be a coldness sometimes because they are so deeply entrenched in theology and doctrine and the, you know, the, the they're so well catechized. Whereas when you look at a lot of the more progressive branches of Christianity, it's more concerned about sort of like making people feel loved and, or, or trying to love people, but doing it in a way that just like is unchained from the tethers of truth. But Parker, we've been talking here for a few minutes and you've been listening very uh, attentively and patiently. Do you have anything to like weigh in on here? Cause I, I mean, I'm sure that you do, but I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. No, I mean, I think you guys have pretty much covered it. I, there's nothing new that I can really say on the topic. I think that it's really just a great setting that they've come up with and a great struggle that they put Jin in the middle of. And that's what's so identifiable and so interesting about it. Everything else is very understated, but this, this piece of it is really the heart of the story and the narrative and the the story is just really strong. I think, you know, that's why probably why they're making it into a movie, you know, and it's, I think mm. there is a sequel in production. So it's going to be interesting to see where do you go from here with the narrative, with, with how things ended and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you're sort of seeing the, the changing of the guard with them, like leaving the honor culture, but, once you fling those doors open, like what happens after that, you know? And I think that the answer initially is just kind of like chaos. And then you sort of like find your own way, you know? So it's just almost like, almost like what the reformation did. 
um, where it's like we go from having one church <laughs> to 10,000, um, you know, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's not really kind of the same, but <laughs> I, that's that's a reach. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I I didn't mean to do. Well, do we're, we're, we're doing the, the the spiritualization. I think of like judges, something like that, where it's like everybody just does what's right in their own eyes at that point. The, the standards, mm. the rule books thrown out the window, and it's just up to the individual to figure out whatever they think is good because there's no higher code that anybody's appealing to, and so you just sort of descend into chaos and and tribalism and you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'd be interested to see, but I, I just, yeah, the, the setting is just great for the story. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Talking about Jin's struggle. And I, I think we'll sort of wrap out like the narrative beats here. Maybe um, I do want to talk about the ending because uh, this ending totally gutted me. Um, absolutely. Like I was devastated. Uh, so uh, the the third act, basically, you know, at that point in time, Jin escapes, and uh, he escapes custody because Coton is still out on he's still on on the run. He's he's loose, and Jin's just like, no, Coton Coton needs to be dealt with. He needs to pay. He needs to be eliminated, and. Um, my uncle isn't going to do this in, in, in like there's, there's reasons um, that he kind of, so he, he, you know, with, with the help of what was that merchant? Um, the, the merchant side character, Micah, do you remember his name? Which one? The um, merchant. He was kind of a little sneaky. Oh, um, you're talking Kenji. about um, Kenji. Kenji. Yeah. Kenji actually helps bust you out of the prison or whatever of, of the guards and yeah. you sneak out and you, you basically kind of like sneak through the camp. And when you ask the the thing about the horse, this is definitely out of the pages of freaking shadow of the Colossus. And it's like, you don't think about it, but like there's all these times where Jin would talk to the horse and he'd be like, you're a good boy. You know, someday we'll go for a run and it won't be, you know, under these circumstances, like there's always like this horse has been like his companion for some, like just throughout the game. And anyways, you make a break for it. And on your way out of the fortress, Nobu, Nobu, my Nobu got shot. And on your way, sort of heading North, you know, gearing up for the final confrontation, Nobu ends up dying on the road. And I, that like talk about like that was very much uh the the sort of shadow on the colossus jumping the bridge the horse dies you know kind of like getting you across to face the last colossus and i was like oh like anytime you kill an animal <laughs> i like i'm just like there's like you want you want me to gig you for something yeah. like kill 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 the an- animals and I, I i don't like that but kind of gutted you and then you you ride around on sort of like this this mutt that unifies for you and then you get eventually you do get another horse at which point in time i got the other horse and i named him i think the it was kaze, kaze. not kage but kaze which means wind yeah um, maybe that's what i'm thinking of when i thought of the two separate names i forgot you do have to name the new horse yeah i, I was probably so, thinking of that kage kage was an option but uh Anyways, um, I'm pretty sure I named it Kaze. Uh, can't 
can't be hundred percent sure. Uh, Cause like, it was like, I think there's an option to name him Nobu again. And I was like, I, I can't do that. No, I was like, that's, that's reserved oh, that's for weird. my good boy. Um, that's for, for the best horse ever. Second best horse in video games. Um, but it, it basically, there is the, the, you, you do get Coton and I'm just going to say like, I think the, the final showdown between Coat and Khan and there's like, it's sort of a, a, you know, is, is appropriate because he turns out to just be a coward. He can't face you one-on-one. Um, you basically have to like mow through all the enemies in his fortress to get to him. You start off on a duel. And then when it looks like you're beating him, he basically throws dirt at you or poison or something and runs off. And then you have to fight through more of his dudes. And this is like, some, like a beef that I have with, with villains in movies. And just, it's like that they suck. Like, because they're cowards because they need their armies. They need their gangs. They can't like they, when the, the hero stands up to them and starts really just like putting the boots to them, they turn tail and they run, they talk a tough game. They, they'll do all sorts of underhanded and nasty stuff, but you just start like when you start beating them. And so Coton, I think just throughout the game just kept earning my dis my my disdain and like my loathing and my hatred and then when it's like he he talked a really tough game but when you started like feeding him his own teeth his his color sh- showed like he ran he was a coward to the end and he died like a dog and he th- like there's this thing he's like you know they'll 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 remember me you know we'll be legends or whatever and jim was like you will be forgotten and then chops off his head and like I was just like, yes, yes, you know, bury the dog kind of thing. Um, so there's that, but that wasn't that wasn't the end of the game. Like there's this big, tense, like just full out like spectacle, and it's amazing and it's awesome. And it was like mind blowing. But the actual ending is Shimra sends you a message and says, We need to talk. You need to meet me here. And you meet him at this dock and you guys ride together and you have these moments where like, it's like, and it's still pretty fresh for me. Um, but you have this moment where you're riding with Shimra and you're talking and you can kind of, t- there's something still between them, but like, there's sort of like, and you stop at one point in time and you get off your horses and you, you push, uh, you help a, a villager push his cart out of the mud and you guys keep you you get back on the horses and you ride and you end up riding this sort of be- beautiful sort of cherry blossom kind of like setting and and Shimra looks at Jin it's like the shogun wants your head he's like that's your punishment he's like and my punishment is i have to be the one to take it and so the the last sort of like story beat of the game is that you basically have a duel between Shimra and Jin. And I'm going to just be honest, like I paused the game at that point where you had to like do that. You have to write one final haiku. Um, I paused the game and I probably walked away from it for like a day because I was just like, I have this thing where I don't like games to end, but like the fact that the game was like, basically the story was ending that way. 
like I really didn't like. And then you go through the duel and you're left with one of two choices. And I did both. And I think for my canon gameplay, like I you basically after you beat Shimmer in the duel, you can make the choice to grant him an honorable death to kill him. Um, which is that's the honorable ending, or you can sort of embrace the ghost and you spare his life. And um, you, you basically shame him. And uh, I did both. And I, I, I'll tell you, the honorable killing, I think, was my canon ending. Um, because, and, as, and, and this is one of the, the ugly things about honor culture, is that it demands, for failure, it demands a, a steep price. There isn't a lot of room for grace or redemption. And so, like in order for Shimura to retain his honor, he had to die by Jin's hand. And I think it was just more appropriate thematically, the, the honor killing because the, and, and again, this is my playthrough. Like, this is like my personal, like Canon. I feel like sparing him was a little mean spirited. Like, and Jin, even though he was angry at his uncle, I don't think he ever hated him the way that that kind of, felt at the end where it's like the like and again like i'm not I, I i did both endings and i settled on the the honor killing kind of being my my canon playthrough because and there's this thing and i think i told you uh, i i might have told you micah it's like is that the voice actor let's like as he so he's talking, they, they have these closing, these closing exchanges. And when he does the shame one, he's like, you know, I have no family. I have no honor. You know, and he puts on the ghost mask and he sort of walks away and leaves Shimra to sort of like sit there in his shame and guilt and regret. And the other one, and, and I, I like this because it's, it's in some ways it's more of a redemptive arc, but Jin looks at Shimra and says, I will make sure that you, whereas like Coton was like, I will be remembered. I will live on in legend. And Jin's like, no, you will be forgotten here. Like you will die and no one will remember your name. And he looks at his uncle and he says, I will make sure that you are remembered as a good leader, a kind man, and a good father. Like even in the end, he's, he's saying like, even if I wasn't formally adopted, you raised me as a son, you loved me like a son, and I will honor that. I will carry that forward. I will make sure that people know that about you. And when he behead, when, when actually I, it's not a beheading, it's the, the knife, you know, when he helps Shimra with the knife or he gives the knife and Shimra, the scream that rips out of Jin is like, you know, the, you hear the words primordial. Um, it, it was devastating. Like I, there, I might've cried. Like it was, it was gut wrenching. Um, and it felt appropriate. Like, you know, the, the, because in so many ways, this is a tragic tale. Um, and it, it, and I think the thing is that it earns every step of that. And, 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 and this ending too, Lord Shimra is never forced to sort of come back and hunt down his, his nephew slash son. Like he can have peace. He can, 
you know, die with some dignity. Like he, he will be remembered with some dignity. And again, it's ugly because it requires his life, but there's something a little more like complete and in a way sweet about that ending. Um, that was just my thoughts on sort of the way that it ended. Um, for you guys, I know, Micah, you told me that you're like, nah, let, let him feel his shame. You're like, uh, you know, but. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I was definitely wanting him to uh, uh, sit with and live with all his bad decisions. Um, so I, I let him live, and yeah, that was that was my economical ending. This is a problem that Sucker Punch gets into. Is they uh, they did this with Infamous as well, where they give you these like really hardcore split fifty fifty endings, and then they got to make a sequel and pick which one they they go with, and it like yeah. makes half the people mad. Um, but, uh, anyway, it was a cool, yeah, th- th- this is classic sucker punch and I love how it ended and yeah, I've seen both endings. They're both awesome. Um, I think they both have impact and weight, uh, for their own respective uh, choices and yeah, it's just a great way to encapsulate or kind of cap off this whole journey, this whole, uh, epic and, and yeah, both, like you said, like I said, both, both of the of the innings have such a huge gravitas and weight to them that um that feel impactful no matter which one you pick yeah i mean they both feel very earned but parker which which one do you remember which ending you picked Mm, i think i was probably similar to yours nate i think i tried both of them just to see what they were like i made a pause the game and looked it up to, to make sure i wasn't making some kind of like wrong decision to get like an awful ending or anything but I think I do agree with you. I, as like frustrating as it is to have to kill your uncle at the end, in some ways that's like the sweeter ending. Because yeah, I, I think like it to me it would it felt kind of on the cruel side to let him live because he just wouldn't be able to live with the shame of it, and so he would kind of live this hollowed out existence forever after. You know, it just felt like you're condemning him to like the worst possible life by letting him not have an honorable death. And so I just was like, let's just make it quick yeah. and, and clean and give you what you're looking for here and we'll honor your memory. And to me, that felt like the, the lesser of two evils. Um, so yeah. I'm the bad guy then. <laughs> Unfortunately. <letting> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was hoping that you would just be like, you know what? Like I, I, I made the wrong call, but you're like, now. He deserved it. Like he earned that. <laughs> and and I, I felt like it's like you said though, they both like they they both felt earned. They just felt like different. It's sort of like one of them definitely has like a good ending kind of feel. And the other one, like I think that the reason I didn't go with just sparing your uncle is that it just felt a little too cruel. Like, and and I don't and, and I'm, a, I'm not saying that that you're a cruel individual, but like I, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like that either because like I don't like the heart. I didn't like for me it's like I didn't like the hardness that Jin was putting on. Like in that, I feel like the the thing is like what's beautiful about Jin is that he is very tender hearted. He has a heart for his people. And even towards his uncle, like that, that is so much of what drives him is like caring for his people that like, like him, like kind of like, even, even if it's like in his anger, sort of like being just like needlessly cruel. And again, I'm using all these terms and like, I'm like, I, I, it just 
to me, the other one felt like a little bit better, but they, they both felt awful. Like that's, that's the thing is both those endings, like killing Shimura was like Shimura dying was devastating. And it was almost as devastating. I think that's the thing is like, yeah. Anyways, I was just living in, I like, I was like, which moment do I want to live in? <laughs> the one where like, there's sort of like a clean, just sort of like, pfft. so briefly, just briefly, um, Micah, you, you, you tease, I don't even tease, but it's like, the, I don't know that it's been confirmed, confirmed, but there, there is a very strong rumor that there's a sequel ghost ghost two is in the works. And again, I don't know that it's been out and out confirmed that that's what sucker punch is working on. Um, but you know, and I think Parker, you sort of talked about it too, is that like what comes after this? Well, chaos. Um, we don't know like what the sequel is going to do. And uh, frankly, like I'm all in, I'm also a little apprehensive because it's like, well, where do you go from here? And like, can you carry that same emotional weight and, and sort of like, and, and, and the the depth and the breadth of all that like can you can you care that same gravitas like those are questions i'm will i'm i'm very excited to see the answer um for now at this point in time but um sort of looking forward like what are your hopes or like what do you want from a sequel in ghost um the, what are you looking for in ghost 2 like micah ghost 2 like what do you what do you want from that? Do you like move to the main mainland? Um, hang uh, out in like a city? What? I don't know. I don't have any expectations or hopes. I guess what I think might happen is, you know, the Shogun's coming. So you might like, they could be the bad guy in the next game, for example, uh, as a group. Or you could just move on to the mainland or some other island and continue fighting the Mongol invasion um fighting that off in some other locale but yeah i don't know i don't have any particular hopes or dreams or whatever i just hope they they just make another you know narratively impactful uh samurai simulator <laughs> yeah <laughs> you like know? um i don't i don't have any particular uh yeah, like check like a checklist of things I want Sucker Punch to do in the sequel. I, I don't really care as long as it's a quality product that they, you know, like they've been producing for for decades now. Um, but yeah, either I, I as far as the story and stuff, I could see Jin going up against the Shoguns or against just more Mongols and like you know Ghost of Japan or whatever. I I feel like going against the Mongols would be a little like almost like too easy or maybe they'll kind of pull like a Spider-Man where there will be like sev several different factions that you're dealing with, like maybe more of the straw hat insurgents or whatever, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's kind of interesting to like, like I'm, I'm curious as to what they do. I think like, I'm like you in the sense that I don't really care what the next step is. I just wanted to like sort of hit some of those same notes Parker, uh, any right. thoughts, expectations, or even just sort of speculations as to what the sequel is going to hold? Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a ton of thinking about it, but I would say just off the cuff, I have a couple hopes for it. One is I hope it doesn't get caught in the in the sequel trap of just 
bigger, louder, more explosive than the first one. And that's just kind of what they go with. I hope they don't lose that sense of kind of like intimate personal drama and struggle that was so prevalent in the first one that made it so heartfelt. Mm. You know, it could be easy to just sort of lean into spectacle with a sequel and you would miss a lot of the emotional appeal mm. of the first one. So yeah. I hope they don't do that. The second thing is I hope they don't lean into it's going to sound bad because I liked Iki Island. I thought it was a good expansion, but I hope they don't lean into that more like supernatural drug trip yeah. infused storytelling, because to me that is like a hallmark of like Ubisoft games, like Far Cry games. And my least favorite part of any Far Cry game is always the, the drug trip experience where the character is, you know, forced to take a drug or they have some kind of weird experience and it's like super trippy and they're like in an alternate dimension mentally or something like that. And they kind of went that way with Iki Island. And it just, to mm -hmm. me, that piece of it felt really out of place. And so yeah. I hope that it was more like a one-off versus something they're going to sort of like explore more fully. I hope they sort of like stick to the main track and they don't deviate off into Iki Island territory for the sequel. Yeah, you and I did talk a little bit about Iggy Island, and I, I know we haven't really talked about that a whole lot in this episode. But yeah, that's my one thing is like it does feel like a bit of a departure because it kind of goes like down this like kind of like mystical kind of route that just felt a little off beat from the rest of the game. You know, not terrible, um, but just like it did just feel a little off. Um, I, I did think, like, if I'm being honest, I think the way they, they leverage that, and again, that's the one that reminds me the most of, like, Rashomon, where it's, like, there's kind of, like, this underlying drama that's being played out with this, like, kind of, like, supernatural set pieces, you know, it's, I think about in Rashomon, uh, when, like, the the dead woman possesses, or the dead man possesses his wife or something, like, I can't, it's been so long since I watched that one, but it's, like... You know, the, the whole conceit of Rashomon is it's like sort of there's a murder trial and it's being like, yeah, anyways, it's Rashomon is weird. It's kind of neat. It's worth a watch, but it's also weird. Um, but yeah, I, I really hope that they kind of, all that being said, I do hope that they kind of avoid like the, the weird mystical mumbo jumbo kind of trappings that accompany the Iki Island stuff. Um, so that being said, uh, I think, you know, and, and Micah sort of close, like really closing out our conversation about this. Um, you mentioned that the game awards are coming and you and I had a bit of a conversation and you asked me what I thought might make an appearance at the game awards. And I think this episode will air before the game awards. I'm kind of like low key rooting for and hoping that we will get a, at least a firm window for ghost Two um, announced at the game awards. That's like my, that's like if Sony comes and says anything, that's what I want. I don't care. It, it, don't I mean, dash you, my dreams. If you get a ghost trailer, you're not getting a window. It's a so teaser. I don't know. It's going to be, it's, a teaser. Yeah, you're not getting a, I'll you're take, not going to get I'll, anything. I'll take a teaser. A date. I'll but I'll take a teaser, but I think even you if they'd say like, like coming in twenty twenty five, less than twenty percent chance of getting a Ghost Two trailer at the Game Awards. Um, but I'm I'm hoping too. I'm right there with you. It would it would be like Game of Show kind of thing if that that came out. Um, but I'm not 
holding my breath. Like I told you, I think um, Sony's going to show Death Stranding too at the Game Awards. Mm. Uh, that could be uh, like you know that that's that's the question is like what is Sony going to show at the Game Awards? Um, but I think guys, one, thank you. This has been, I think, I, I feel pretty good about the conversation that we had. Is there anything, sort of like any stragglers or hangers on that like something you're like, I've been wanting to say this all episode, but Nate's talked entirely too much and I need to get it out of my system. Is there anything like that that you guys sort of want to fire off before I start like the the serious wind down? I don't think so. I think we about covered it of... I'm looking through my notes. Nothing is sticking out. Just, um, just a fantastic game uh, from from Sucker Punch, and yeah, very much looking forward to what they have uh, uh, yeah. working on next. Parker, um, not really. I just going back to it. We didn't talk a ton about the combat of the game. We talked about like the dual mm. mechanic and stuff. So I would just say, I, to second Micah's brief comments on the actual combat system, really liked it. I thought it was a standout piece of it like just how well implemented it was and the fact that you've got different mongols with different types of weapons at you and there's sort of a ballet to feel to the combat when you when you you know are able to kind of like effortlessly switch between stances and you're not really thinking about it it's almost like muscle memory for your thumbs when you reach that point you feel like you've sort of like hit the next level in the combat and it's kind of a really exhilarating feel because you can take out a fort in almost a blink of an eye. You can come in, you can duel five or six guys, take them out right off the bat. And then you've got three or four different guys, all with different weapons coming at you. And to be able to handle that and seamlessly switch from one guy to the next, parrying and counterattacking and switching stances and stuff as you go is like really one of the high water marks for me of the game. Mm. I just don't think we touched on that too much, but I do want to emphasize that like Micah touched on it and I would just second that comment that the combat was just stellar. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely something that we did kind of skip over a little bit when we were just sort of talking non-spoilers, but yeah. But I think that's the thing, is that even there, the combat is just kind of like, it's not super in your face. It is kind of just understated, and then you kind of hit that flow state, and it just locks in, and you're like, oh, this feels really, really good. Um, Just like, well, and it goes back to like what what I was saying, you know, when we when we started talking, is like this game is just like high eights or nines across the board. It might not have like a ten moment. I think out of anything, the combat might get closest to the ten, or even the 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 story. But it's like from from again beginning to end, this is just it's like high eights, nines across the board. It's just a a a really masterful game and. just wanted to again thank you guys uh, for your time here and appreciate the conversation. So, um, as as we start to wind down here, uh, you know, Parker, I know that you are just notoriously absent on pretty much any online platform. You're you're not on social media in any capacity. You are, I think, a part of the Breakdown Discord, but I don't know that you've ever used it. Um. I think I've been known to lurk on it, but I don't think I've ever done anything other than kind of quietly lurk. So I'm a- just lurk and, and watch all of the shenanigan- uh-huh. shenanigans and degeneracy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Micah, you, on the other hand, are on social media. Where can, uh, I mean, uh, obviously some of, like the longtime listeners probably know, TRG listeners probably know, but where can they find you, friend? 
Yeah, of course. Sadly, I'm on um, www.twitter.com. <laughs> Uh, at Doug's vest is where you can find me posting most of my bad opinions and takes and things about video games and some of my, uh, photo mode shots from games like ghost of Tsushima. Um, yeah. At Doug's vest. Yeah. Um, on the, on the, the social media site formerly known as Twitter. Um, yeah, no, it's www.twitter.com. That's the website. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, <laughs> but uh, as 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 for us, this podcast, um, you can find us at the backlog breakdown, kind of all over the place. I think on Twitter dot, at, at Twitter dot com, we are BB Downcast. Um, on Instagram, I think we're just the backlog beatdown. On Facebook, you can find us at the Backlog Book Club. There's a Facebook group. Obviously, there's our Discord. Um, if you're looking to find Josh online, he normally goes by uh, Broccolope on most of the different social media platforms. I go by Nate underscore McKeever. And of course, you can email us at the Backlog Breakdown at gmail.com if you have any comments, questions, thoughts, or concerns, if like, you know, you're sort of like, hey, you guys had a really great conversation, but you forgot this major thing and therefore you're all dumb and stupid and I'm unsubscribing, um, you know, feel free to send us that email. Not that I'm going to care, probably won't read it anyways, but you know, maybe, maybe I'll respond. Um, if you like what we're doing, of course, rate and review, you know, do all the things and, um, I think, guys, that's about all I've got tonight. I think this, again, you know, and I've, I've said this several times now, but thank you so much for your time. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we're going to call it a night. And uh, I just feel like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be an episode of The Breakdown if I just didn't sort of like, you know, chime in with that, that sweet little tag that Josh tacks in at the end of every episode. You know, we've done what we came here to do, folks. But until next time, Keep beating down your backlogs and we'll keep breaking down the benefits. Good night.